Flicks, did you cry during No Way Home? I did not. But there was a couple moments where I I thought about it. I thought, man, am I going to do this right now? Am I going to do it? But I think my excitement just overburdened my emotional factors here, the emotional elements. Man, I, I'd be lying if I, I saw it twice. So I saw it Thursday with you, but then I saw it Saturday with the fam. So I had to see it with the biggest Spider-Man fan we know as in our father. Mm. And uh, I got to be honest, I do. I shed a tear, I think, in the second one. I did. I, I, it was more like a <gasps> where I caught my well, second there, breath. There was a moment. I have no spoilers yet, but there was a moment where they should have done something and I would have bawled my eyes out. I oh, would have. We'll talk about it. Let's get into it. This is the Drive-In Podcast, episode 68, take one. Welcome to the 68th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have Spider-Man. Nothing but Spider-Man for episode 68. No checkup this week, right? Checkup will be separate. Will be a uh, released on Wednesday this week. This will be the traditional Tuesday release. If you're lucky, we might even drop it on Monday for y'all. Okay. Ricky Flex, how are you? We are coming off arguably the most important movie that we have reviewed in our podcast history. Can we agree or disagree? I can't even go one step further for you, Dr. O. Whoa. I agree with you entirely, but I think this might be the most important movie ever to hit movie theaters. Oh my God. Oh my God. Take it easy, Ricky Flex. What do you mean? I think this is the most important movie to ever hit the theaters. And I could dive into it if we want, if we want to wait. I know I just, I started off the pod hot. I realize that now. I mean, I, I think I know why, but I want you to explain why you think this is the most important movie potentially to ever hit movie theaters. So with the rise of streaming, the streaming wars, they're as high as ever. Nobody wants to go to the theaters anymore. 2020, 2021 has been not disastrous, but not great for the movie theaters. Oh, like not great. There's been talks of Amazon buying AMC. Amazon obviously has Prime Video and everybody has Amazon Prime. That's an option. Everybody has Netflix. Everybody has Disney Plus, this, that, whatever. Everything, the odds are against movie theaters. And what happens during a pandemic, Omicron variant is storming and people are now realizing, wow, this is a real variant. What does Spider-Man No Way Home do? Drops the third biggest domestic box office opening weekend of all time. Of all time. In one weekend. 253. In one weekend, it beat any other weekend, uh, any other movie that's released this year, its entire 45-day slate in the theaters. In just one weekend, three days. So this, I'm not saying, I won't go and say it saved movie theaters, but it still shows that movie theaters will always exist. And it's for this reason, the big events at bare minimum, 
movie theaters will always exist as not just a night out, but for these big events, gatherings, because Dr. O, my theater, the first time I saw this was rocking. And that's why I will always have movie theaters. So this movie saved movie theaters and proves once again, movie theaters are still great. Yeah. So I think it proved a couple of things. You talked about the $253 million uh, box office opening weekend in the U.S. strictly in the U.S. strictly, which is the third highest opening of all time. I know we were projecting around $200 million and that was maybe a stretch with Omnicron going on. But the fact that it has been so financially successful, critically successful, you're right. It could be the most important movie in the history of movie theaters. We are on the brink. We were the on the brink of extermination, extinction, potentially for yeah. movie theaters. AMC was going bankrupt. We had to have a GameStop stock market rally to help save it. This movie single-handedly might save movie theaters. I agree 100% with what you're saying. I'm not. We're not saying it's the biggest of all time. Right. Right. But in terms of most backs, backs against the wall, we got to save movie theaters. Tom Holland's coming to save the day in more ways than one. Can we agree? Absolutely. Well, not just Tom Holland, but we'll move on from that. We'll move on from that. Uh, So for today's episode, we are going to have uh, non-spoiler and spoiler review, mostly spoiler review. We'll give our initial reactions to the movie and our experiences seeing this event that Ricky Flix has talked about earlier. But we're also going to have a Spider-Man draft where we're going to put up all of these franchises against one another, right? The multiverse, head on. We're going best Spider-Man. We're going best Spider-Man movie, best villain, best supporting character, and best love interest. So make sure you stick around for that draft because it's, as the folks say, can't miss. All right. With that being said, Ricky Flix, are you ready to jump in? to the biggest review this podcast has ever done. Yes. Okay. I would say this review next to maybe Snyder Cut. And I would say next to Snyder Cut, this is the biggest review we've ever done. Yeah, definitely. I think this is the biggest review, but Snyder Cut is close. Okay. Let's get into it. So we'll give you the Rotten Tomatoes. We'll give you the audience score, the IMDB, and the synopsis. And then we'll dive in. So... Rod Tomandos has Spider-Man No Way Home at 94% critically. It also has a 99% audience score. 99, okay? That sounds like some Infinity War endgame crap to me. Next up, IMDb, 9.1 out of 10. This thing is a critical and commercial smash. So, synopsis. With Spider-Man's identity now revealed, our friendly neighborhood web-slinger is unmasked and no longer able to separate his normal life as Peter Parker from the high stakes of being a superhero. When Peter asks for help from Dr. Strange, the stakes become even more dangerous, forcing him to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. That's the synopsis, spoiler-free for all the kids out there. We're going to start off non-spoiler here, Ricky Flex, and this is for all the listeners. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, keep on listening because we've got some good stuff coming for you. Make sure you see the movie as quickly as possible, though, if you have not done so already for the sake of this review, for the sake of social media, Twitter, Instagram, the whole shebang, so you can actually enjoy yourself. So, Ricky Flux, let's start off with your theatrical experience. You talked about how this was not just a movie you go and walk out of and say, yeah, that was good. You talk about the encompassing experience. How was it pulling in, right? What were your emotions going in during the movie, after the movie, reactions? So tell me about your experience at your local AMC. 
excitement as always i will say the starters 25 minutes of trailers at least seven trailers before this movie that definitely started it it didn't build up any excitement and it didn't deter my excitement but it was just very annoying when you have this huge event and obviously you gotta boost up other movies and boost up going to other to see other movies in the movie theaters so you gotta have a lot of trailers but that was a lot now right when we jump into the movie audience was buzzing every time we get a glimpse at something something uh nostalgic or fan service the audience was buzzing it had end game vibes to it i some people said it's better than Endgame and their theater experience. That was not mine, but it was it was great. I will say that. Um, other than that, my AMC was great. Again, I think they added we they added multiple showtimes and multiple screenings of Spider-Man No Way Home because of the audit, like because everybody was buying pre, uh, pre-advanced tickets right away. So not just the actual in theater, but just the lobby, just everything. The hype around this movie just felt amazing in the theater. And I think you have something to say about the parking, Dr. Rowe. Couldn't even get, couldn't even find a parking spot. This was the only time in my life where I was happy I couldn't find a parking spot. This is the only moment in my life where I was circling around a parking lot, actually with a grin on my face, because it means movie theaters are back. It means we are having an event in the age of a pandemic, right? So if you don't, if you choose not to see this movie during a pandemic, I don't blame you. But the fact that, we ha- I was pulling in at 11 p.m. on a Thursday night of an opening weekend. It's not technically even out till Friday. And this entire AMC that we are at, which is a huge multiplex, is completely swamped. It was a sight to behold. I even passed Scotty Furious, right, a uh, former guest on the pod. We'll have to have him on sooner rather than later. Walking alongside with Ricky Flex, I pulled my window down and I said, boys, Boys, where do I park? Where do I park? And I wasn't even pissed. I wasn't even pissed, was I, Flix? Not pissed. Confirmed. Not pissed. But I was a little urgent because I did want to get into the theater. So, I mean, this is like, I also saw a tweet, Ricky Flix, earlier. Someone was talking about, so Nightmare Alley also debuted this weekend in theaters, okay, with Guillermo del Toro. Um, If you're looking for box office success, might I suggest we don't pin it against a uh, Spider-Man opening right or let like especially a spider-man collaboration with mcu opening so and i saw that a few theaters they were closing nightmare alley viewings so they could have enough theaters open for no way home and this kind of like falls right with scorsese and what he was talking about with like how mcu and all these superhero movies are hurting cinemas because people are losing the opportunity to see original type of material or things that are um, true filmmaking from people as great as Guillermo del Toro. What do you think about that aspect, Flix? What do you think about, like, we have real restricting other movies so we everyone can see No Way Home? I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up. So I think just to start my, my whole shebang here, you have to do it. If audiences are going to pay to see a movie and it's not available, that's not right. If they and they're not going to see the other movie, then might as well shut down the screenings. I do believe that that is the right business decision and also the right decision for audiences. Do I believe that it's the right decision for the filmmakers? And do I think it's crazy to do uh, or uh, not crazy to do, but just unfortunate? Yes. Obviously, Nightmare Alley, I have not seen it yet. I'm seeing it this week. I believe we're doing like a double review or something with Don't Look Up perhaps next week. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a hell of a double review. Like, Netflix. 
it's gonna like it's gonna be it's gotten a cinema score of a B on um Oscar implications. Yeah, big Oscar implications, certified fresh, Bradley Cooper. They've been I think the biggest thing here is that they've been advertising this movie for a month straight. I've seen the trailer a, bi- a billion times on TV and ca- on cable. I was just in New York City. It's on the top of taxi cabs. It's on billboards on the highway. Like they are advertising this to the max, but it's just no, it's just a waste of money because it's Spider-Man No Way Home. It's just a waste of money. Yep. They should have used that money elsewhere as in burning it. It's, basically burn, it's like the Joker in the dark night, just burning the money in front of the mob boss. It's like, there's no point in having this money, like in spending that money. I agree a hundred percent. So um, all in all, all in all, like it sucks that this like quote unquote great, like actual movies, like not franchises, not um, thing, not big blockbusters, like actual art and filmmaking. It sucks, but it's the right thing to do for people, for the masses. Right. I, I just wanted to get your take on that, Ricky, because I know we talk about it off recording and on recording all the time. Uh, but I think this was completely worth it. And I don't blame theaters for making this decision. Right. The most important stay in business release here. ever. Most important release in the history of movies, according to Ricky Flex. Let's clip it. Um, and going through the theater experience as well. Theaters packed. But once again, it's 1105 when we're watching this movie. The theater's buzzing. Wait. We know, We think that we know what to expect from this movie. And although we know what to expect, it's like the actions of these characters that also bring out, out these unexpected explosions from the audiences, right? Um, and so I, I just got to say the theater, I can feel the tension during certain scenes. I can feel the excitement from certain scenes and I can feel the emotional um, weight when very uh, impactful situations happen where you have basically uh, like st- sad, sad, sad moments happening in this movie where I, as I said before, I, I think I teared up during the second time I viewed this movie and you would expect like for that reaction to happen the first time you see it, the initial watch. Right. But I, I was just like, man, was this movie as good as I experienced the first time? And man, the second time it was nearly as good. I can't say it was the same, but it was nearly as good. I was like, when I walked out of the theater, which is what I'm going to ask you about next, I questioned like naturally we live in an age of social media and rankings. Like where do I put this in Spider-Man movies? Like, like on, on this pantheon, where do I put it with MCU making MCU rankings in that pantheon? Right. And I was like, I'm just too emotionally overwhelmed from this movie more, arguably more than any other superhero movie I've seen save for maybe infinity war. So what was your reactions upon finishing the film? Were you emotional? Like I was, or were you angry? How were you feeling? So I had two reactions. One, I had excitement from the way it ended. Ooh. I had excitement. And I, I can't say anything without spoiling it. So I'm going to wait to that after. Please just go see it and then come back to this review if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but then I had the opposite spectrum where I had disappointment. I had disappointment and a post credit scene. A big okay. disappointment. And I still have it. Not, I was way more disappointed I felt that from you. I felt that I, from you after I, I saw it. I was, I was like, now I'm like, I more understanding of it and it makes more sense, but still it's disappointment was raging through my mind after this post-credit scene. So from the actual movie, unlike other people, I think I was excited. I I'm, I'm excited at the pop of the, what's going to happen next with Spider-Man. I think this is perfect. 
But going forward with other uh, aspects of the franchise, a little disappointment, but we'll save that for spoilers. And I think we're about to get into spoilers, but I want to lead the non-spoilers with a little something juicy here. I think that this was close. I think I when we went over the Snyder Cut, I called it somewhat of a comic book masterpiece in terms of like the handling of characters, the overall formation of the movie, all right? The amount of fan service that was put in and then the fan reaction as a result. And I think this was pretty close to like that Infinity War Endgame type of level where it was it had a bar that it was set at right the expected appearances in this movie all right the villains that were appearing okay the ending of a potential trilogy all right tom holland like coming into his own as spider-man and it was one of the few mcu movies that lived up to these expectations in terms of i think exceeded those expectations in my opinion at least and we just had eternals where the bar was set to a level that was almost unattainable because of Chloe Zhao directing. We got this massive cast. This was the opposite. Well, not the opposite. You saw the bar set, but Mm -hmm. it went far past that bar instead of coming way below it, in my opinion. So I just want to give that to the audience and saying, if you haven't seen this movie, go see it right now. It will not disappoint. Whatever you think that bar is set at, it's going to go above it. Can we agree, Flex, or no? Yeah, I think John Watts did an incredible job balancing the screen times and implications from each of the characters in this in this movie. I like you sure some people can question some of the villains' motives. That's not a spoiler or anything. Um, and some of the some of the actions that they take. But I think just with the actual flow with the movie and everything going on with so many different storylines and villains in this and characters just in general, not just villains. I thought I did a great job with it. And I, I honestly do believe that, yes, it was very similar to Infinity War Endgame type style of masterpiece, comic book balance. Spectacle. It's just, it's just yeah, so event, it's a huge just, event. It's just like, a, you're, it's, it's interesting because like we have Infinity War and Endgame. It's a culmination of the MCU. But now we're bringing in villains from the Maguire trilogy and then we have the amazing spider-man with andrew garfield so it's like we're not just living up to potential mcu connections right with spider-man but also previous iterations so it's like almost a different it's a similar audience but slightly different so it's like it's when we i'm gonna we're eventually gonna ask the question is this a what i call god tier mcu movie is it on that tier of infinity war Endgame, when you discuss box office, fan expectations, do they deliver based on the scale of the film? And I think it's just below the God tier. It's just below. But we're going to get into it, especially when we talk about spoilers. Yeah. All right. So now, this is your warning. Right now, Spider-Man No Way Home, spoilers coming at you. If you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, pause this podcast right now. Go see the movie. Jump in your car, hit the play button, and we'll get into it. All right, Ricky Flex, you're ready. Let's get into it. Spoilers have been set. We're diving. So, Ricky Flex, we have been teased for, I would say, over a year now with all these villains from different Spider-Man franchises. We have questions being asked of Andrew Garfield on his press tour for Tick, Tick, Boom. Right, we see these images of Tobey Maguire looking buff 
And we see him, images of him from paparazzi leaving the gym, all right? Him looking like he is camera ready of some sort. It turns out the rumors are true. We had the big three in Spider-Man No Way Home. Garfield, Maguire, Holland, Ricky Flicks. What was your reaction upon seeing the big three in this movie? And did Marvel and Sony execute it right? I think they did. I think they did. The screen times, the actual introduction to the characters I thought were great with, I know it was kind of a weird time in the movie with Ned playing around with the spin, uh, Doctor Strange spin portal thing. Um, the execution was very well done, I think. And I think that like they played the Tobey Maguire being the older Spider-Man, the mentor, Andrew Garfield kind of like approaching that stage, but also like, like obviously spider-man 3 he's the spider-man 3 like he, he it's very self-aware the movie's very self-aware of that franchise and the inefficiencies of that franchise and inabilities to connect to the audience as well as the other two have and yeah it was just very self-aware and they did that well but i think the main takeaway from this is that andrew garfield is just a class and a half above not just the sp- other spider-man but every other almost every other actor in this movie old like almost every other actor. It is insane how good of an actor he is. And this movie, like in a comic book movie, it's just, it's like you have to compare, like, because he's been next to Adam Driver, Liam Neeson, and he's been Scorsese, he's been in a Scorsese movie, he's been Oscar nominated, yada, yada, yada. But it's like, you always know he's good. And like, he's tick, tick, boom, he was great in. But it's like, you have to like put him against like other Spider-Men to realize like, yeah, he's just so much better at acting than other like normal people that we consider like, our favorite movies to go see in theaters. Okay. So let me just go first and saying, let's talk about, cause I'm, I want to get to Garfield because I loved Garfield in this movie. I thought he was exceptional in this movie. I want to just first go to my reaction. First off, we're going to go to nitpicks. We got Ned with the Dr. Strange type powers, opening portals, something I, I didn't necessarily like about this movie. I assume you did not knowing how you are Ricky flex, but I need to say that moment was my favorite moment probably in the entire movie where you had Garfield in the suit looking back and the audience, it's like that bitter iron. It's that, uh, that irony where the audience knows exactly who that is. Once he makes that turn, you see him in the spider suit, that slender, tall build. And we're like, oh my God, it, the rumors are true. And even though you knew it was coming, you still were left in a gasp where your mouth, were, your mouth was open and you're like, I can't believe this is actually happening happening and then when you have that moment after garfield comes in and you got mj throwing bread at him and stuff in a very humorous type of moment and then you hear mj say try it again see if we can bring peter back here to to yeah you knew it was coming and you're like oh my god here comes toby mcguire here comes toby mcguire i was freaking out i was like jumping in my seat i was like all giddy and everything there that the nostalgia factor they nail in this movie they absolutely Incredible. nail it. But what I, you talk about Andrew Garfield and uh, I'm t- about to talk about like their combined performances here. They were more than just cameos in this movie. They were in half the movie, maybe a little bit more. This is not what people were saying where it's like, oh, Doctor Strange. Oh, they need help fighting the Sinister Six. Let's kind of portal in these other two Spider-Men at the end of the movie in the third act. No, they were in 
half the movie, putting on actual performances. And I think, talk about fan service, what makes a great superhero movie in the year 2021? Taking what fans know and then over-delivering. And they did in this regard. Absolutely. And then you have, obviously, a split division here. You got people on the Tobey Maguire side. You got people on the Andrew Garfield side. Then you got this new generation with Tom Holland, right? So this, I think, with the screen time was distributed properly with the two Spider-Men breaking into Tom Holland's film. And then I think most importantly, it gave them time to shine, references to their older selves, and also provided concluding arcs to their story. I thought the writing for these characters were awesome. Ricky Flex, what did you think about the handling of these characters? The Garfield writing was astounding. And it wasn't so just... good. I, I would say the two best scenes in the movie, not just my favorites, but also the best scenes would be either the one you just mentioned, the introductions of the characters, particularly the Andrew Garfield one, or literally the completion of Andrew Garfield's arc with catching Zendaya slash Mary Jane. Oh, sorry, Michelle Jones, MJ. That, 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 those two scenes, in my opinion, were the best two scenes in the movie. And that was without Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire at the beginning. So, Wow, they did such a good job. I, I was shocked. And then they did a the good job of Tony McGuire and Andrew Garfield kind of bantering or uh, trying to mentor or like relate to Tom Holland, Spider-Man, saying like, oh, like my Aunt May died or like, oh, Gwen Stacy, my MJ died. And that whole scene, that was very the well Best executed. friend with Ned, with uh, right. Tony <laughs> Funny, good humor. <laughs> what happened to your best friend? He died in my arms. <laughs> I fought him and he died in my arms. Oh, and, then, and then Ned makes a speech to Tom Holland later saying, I won't, I won't turn against you and, you, and I won't die in your arms. But yeah. we're like, hey, we don't know. Let's see I've what happens in the next trilogy. trilogy. Yes. What's MIT going to do to Ned? <laughs> see, see if it changes him, right? Let's see if it changes him. Um, I want to talk about, uh, as we said before, as I mentioned before, the finishing of these stories. Marvel... It's like you knew just having them in this movie, they're meeting them, meeting fans at that bar I'm talking about, that threshold where it's like, yes, that's enough. But to take the past of these Sony characters of McGuire and Garfield and going above and saying, hey, don't we like it would be awesome if we ever saw them in Spidey suits again. All right. Is it likely to happen? Absolutely not. I think they treated it properly to assume Garfield and McGuire will never put on this suit again. I'm not sure they necessarily want to, right? But they finalized their characters in movie franchises they didn't get to finalize. Spider-Man 3 was not supposed to be the end of Tobey Maguire, right? We were expected to get a Spider-Man 4. He didn't end up with Mary Jane. We don't really know what happened with him and Mary Jane until this movie. Right. Obviously, Andrew Garfield. We only had two movies with him. We had a Sinister Six movie on the way. And then all of a sudden, Sony is kind of absor- is absorbed by Marvel uh, in Disney. We don't get any more Andrew Garfield, right? So they had an open-ended arc that wasn't closed, right? And they kind of used the story from No Way Home to provide closure for fans and those characters. And I, that's, that's why I think the writing was so good. That Garfield moment hit so much harder the second time I saw it. And, and everyone was guessing that in the trailer, that he was going to save MJ, redeem yeah. himself for his actions in Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then it, the, the moment where he holds MJ and then MJ, uh, he says to MJ, are you okay? 
what does she say back to him? Are, Are you, you okay? okay? He, cause he's crying. Cause he's thinking about and reflecting on the moment, right. That he's redeeming himself off of. I thought he should have, they should have like, he should have, uh, in my, obviously I love this scene. He should have like collapsed to his knees, like while holding her or something. That would have been good. And like, just like started like sobbing, like uncontrollably. Like, yeah. I think that would have been even better. Garfield would have nailed that too. too Don't tell I me know. he nailed that. Like, yes, he would. And then, but and also like completing arcs here. It, you, like, we have Tobey Maguire referencing Uncle Ben, yep. right? And how he, uh, Uncle Ben died because of him and his actions, right? He sees, basically, he, he basically calls itself manslaughter the way that like Uncle Ben dies and in terms of his faults in it, right? So he sees that, uh, Tom Holland is acting in a similar revengeful manner over Willem Dafoe. And what do we see happen at the end of the movie? He is Uncle Ben in the story. Right. He stops him from pushing that limit, right? And they, this movie, what I, I loved about it, it didn't pull many punches except for this one punch where McGuire uh, grabs that glider before Tom Holland executes Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin out of rage. And then uh, he's stabbed by the goblin by Willem Dafoe. And so if you really wanted to make this and all time, just like a perfect movie, Maguire would have died there. He would have died to complete the arc of uncle, uncle Ben. Without a doubt. That's what should have happened. Now that is probably my biggest, that second biggest detractor from this movie is the Tony Maguire. It's that scene right there. It's either he stops the glider uh, Tom Holland, the glider from killing Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, puts it down and whatever. Then the movie's about to then do everything else after the fact, whatever. The Goblin era is over. Or you have Goblin kill him. And then someone like Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield stabs Willem Dafoe and he's cured. And then he realizes what he did. And then it's like, because Willem, because, uh, Norman Osborn was kind of like a father figure to Tony McGuire's Peter Parker. Yeah. So it would have been perfect, like him dying in his arms, similar to a la the opposite in Sp uh, the 2002 Spider-Man of Norman Osborn dying in Peter Parker's arms. So that would have been absolutely perfect. Like Obviously, Holland hits him with the antidote or something, right. and then he comes back to who he is. Then he holds right. like dead McGuire. Yeah. Right. I hear you. But the fact that that didn't happen, I think that would have been perfect, but they just they played it in the middle though obviously the movie gets a lot darker uh five minutes later so they, don't, they probably want to go dark and then even darker with a lot of people's spider-man dying and then ruining another spider-man's life at, right after that but i think that would have been the way to get that should have been the way to go but i just didn't think they had the balls to do it basically yeah but yeah i agree they couldn't do it it was already so emotional we're gonna get to some of the other decisions made by director john watts and the writers here but before we move on from like the writing of these uh supporting characters that are these spider men i need to talk about andrew garfield and um the self-awareness they give his character throughout this movie where it's like hey like we know the og spider-man fans we love mcguire like we will, it's almost to the point where we will never call Holland, no matter what he achieves. We're like, okay, Maguire's our Spider-Man. We can never say that Tom Holland will ever surpass him because of what Tobey Maguire meant to us. And then we have Garfield only in two movies that were critically kind of panned, right? Especially the second one, commercially somewhat successful. He's like the bridge between 
Maguire to Holland, right? So he's not as relevant. And so it's, it's just hilarious to me when they talk about the, the villains that they face, right? And then they talk about, and like basically Maguire's like, yeah, I faced like a Russian guy who was a rhino. And then you have like Holland saying, I fought in space against Thanos. And then like, I fought with the, whatever, whatever. The Green Goblin, who you're fighting right now, like Maguire's like, that was my first villain. Like, like, oh my God, this is impressive. And then even when they go like, they're trying to communicate with one another. Who's Spider-Man 1? Tom Holland. Who's Spider-Man 2? Maguire. Who's Spider-Man 3? Spider-Man 3. That is Garfield. Garfield. So it seems like he knows his place here. And so do the writers. And I think that helped like the comedic elements of Garfield in this movie. And I mean, there are so many people clamoring for an amazing Spider-Man 3 now. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's just amazing. The performance was that good in this movie, though. And I thought the writing was that good. Yeah, like that would be hilarious if like the amazing Spider-Man, like Andrew Garfield comes back and plays like a Sony-verse Spider-Man. So it's like completely separate. And then he goes against Tom Hardy's Venom because obviously the post credits You were talking scene. about that, similar ages. Right, so maybe they do that. And then he goes against, I don't know, Jared Leto, whatever. Um, but just to kind of wrap up, we were just saying about the Andrew Garfield and the, the lineage of Spider-Man. Obviously, Tobey Maguire, iconic, kind of like the kind of like the christopher reeves superman direct connection basically exactly. like he, he will always be superman like Tony Ware will always be spider-man to like at least uh, for me personally and garfield whoever it doesn't matter if it was andrew garfield leo whoever came after toby mcguire it was just you were never going to surpass it no matter how good you were no matter how bad you were you just were never going to be better than Tony mcguire tom holland on the other hand there's so much time has passed like between 2002 and the first Spider-Man was that 2016, 2015, whatever, and Homecoming, Tom Holland's first Spider-Man. So there's plenty of time. There's been a Spider-Man before, so your expectations are already lower for the next Spider-Man. And then when you generally generally surpass that movie of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Tom Holland does a good performance in Homecoming, it's like, all right, maybe this guy's better than Tobey Maguire. And it's because your expectations are different. So uh, I, Toby's still my guy, always will be. And we're gonna I, ask later. So don't have to answer right now. We're gonna I'm just over saying, the quintessential Spider-Man. I'm just saying, like you gotta remember, like expectations. Like if all three solo movies came out at the same time, who would be the best Spider-Man? That's what you should be thinking. Right. And then, like they all like brought something to the movie, and I felt like, like uh, Gar- like something to the character of Spider-Man, not the movie. Excuse me. But Garfield, I, what this movie proved to me is that. If Garfield had the writers of Maguire's initial trilogy, or if Maguire had the writers of the MCU writing and like uh, creating this environment for him to be Spider-Man, I think he would have nailed it. I think he would have been a spectacular Spider-Man. The dark brooding type, the angsty type, I don't really think fit the mold of Peter Parker. I know a lot of people grew up in that generation and they love that version, but Garfield is such a talented actor and you saw like when he is supported properly with these comic book elements in a comic book movie what he could bring to the table because i mean he was he was light years ahead of toby Maguire in this movie in terms of a performance like toby Maguire was there for more of like yes he is nostalgic and they wrap up his story properly but as an actor he's very stiff he hasn't acted Literally. in forever like he's not he hasn't been relevant and just seeing him on the screen it just takes audiences aback. And they're right. just like astounded that they're getting to see this 
But when it comes to Garfield and what his like reactions to Ned and MJ and his reactions with the other Spider-Man, he's hilarious. He is so funny. It's, I mean, it's, it just makes me think what could have been, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And you just said like, when you were looking at the three Spider-Man, it's like Andrew Garfield's like, you were just like happy. You're just happy to see him. Right. And but like every time Tobey Maguire was on the screen, like his screen presence just was different. It was just like he's the alpha here. Yeah, he is the alpha. Like he, it, like he's the god. Like everyone's just bowing down to him. Like 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 everybody, shut up. Toby's talking. Shut right. up. Toby has something to say. So like obviously like his Spider Man. Like he was 29 when he played Spider Man. He looks he looked older than a high school kid. He looked very old to be yeah. a high school kid, but. Yes, he was still a little awkward in this movie, just like in the solo. But this one knows more because of just the age and the stiffness factor. But all in all, like I did think they played like it played off well. Literally, they made jokes saying he was stiff. He had a hurt back. They had the Andrew Garfield crack in his back for him. They you know the story of like the broken back, right? Do you know the story, Ricky Flex? No. So Tobey Maguire, when he was cast as Spider-Man, hurt his back shooting a previous movie. I don't believe it was Seabiscuit. It was might, probably something else. But he had a hurt back. And he was almost, right, uh, he was almost cast, uh, replaced, I should say, by Jake Gyllenhaal. That almost cost him the role of Spider-Man. So that was like an inside joke there. Then obviously, if you want to think of Spider-Man 2, where he started, like, they talk about the existential crisis and he can't like figure out his like webs or anything and he loses his powers. Mm-hmm. He obviously hits his back. He's like, my back, my back. Right? right. When he hits his head back on the car and everything. So that was like, all, like they didn't like those like, like inside joke type things for those who are committed fans to the Spider-Man like character. So I thought that was genius. And then I also wanted to bring up the scene where they're sitting, it's the three Spider-Men and they're talking about the villains they faced toby mcguire turns to andrew garfield and says you're amazing yeah you're amazing it felt like it was a really meta meta type moment where it's like dude i we know the success of our movies me and holland but we're looking at you saying you are incredible what you did was amazing and i i I just like spider-man just like the whole audience is thinking it and that made me want to like tear up there because i was like damn like this guy really cared about the character he just didn't get the same like service that the other two it's that that scene that you're talking about like i did like it It was was very forced like um who says like you're amazing like that many times amazing spider-man yes i know yes i'm just saying it was very forced but it was like forced for a reason to like make sure you realized it in case you like were floating in space or something so <laughs> so uh no like all in all like i know we're we're talking about three spider-man but it's because it's such a big event such a big this event is the most there important a, part of the movie it's it's incredible that we saw this and we're able to see like toby mcguire like what the heck has he been up to like we talked about this before like he hasn't been up to like anything catas- like m- the only very minuscule things that you have no idea what they are i was afraid he would say no if he was offered right he'd just be like i'm not doing it yeah so, and obviously then everything would just go off the wayside. They'd have to do a completely different project, but, um, or a different movie. I mean, so all in all, like, I think the Spider-Man factors were amazing. And also my last, uh, sorry, one last thing. All three this, is the, suits, this is the juiciest stuff to talk about. So we can overextend on this. The, the three, the three suits all next to each other. Toby's is still the best. Wow. That I suit is iconic. Like, holy crap. Maybe the new Tom Holland suit will eventually be like that, but wow, Toby's suit again, even him looking old, incredible. I can't wait to see the next one for Holland, though. I think it, that might overtake all of them. It 
Ooh, it looks so good. It lo- pure, like I said, it, all right, no, not like I said, we haven't talked about it yet. Like just what happens at the end after. Yeah, we'll get to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I know I'm, I just like, I need to talk about that. That suit was incredible. The light blue to it, the comic book feel to it, the eighties yes. comic book feel to it. So um, cool. let's go into other aspects of this movie. Talking about nostalgia, let's go into the villains. Cause all of these villains are from previous iterations of Spider-Man franchises from McGuire from uh garfield so we had green goblin we had doc ock and then we had sandman from the uh mcguire universe and then we had the obviously lizard electro and who am i missing electro that's Uh, it that's five that's five right because i said three from the original so two from garfield's universe what do you think um of these performances what do you think about the choices like of who was in this movie like who stood out, who was a disappointment, just, I guess, overall thoughts on the villains of Spider-Man No Way Home flicks. I think Melina and Defoe, similar to the Gar- Garfield, just showed their acting prowess here. They, I think, especially Defoe, I think Defoe was really, really good as the Green Goblin, of course, but that sounds like so obvious, but this just reinforces it. Like, wow, him just dual personalities here. Um, incredible. And that was even with, and like, obviously he breaks the mask, his, uh, the iconic Greek Goblin mask in the beginning of the movie. And you're like, what? But it makes sense with everything coming out, leaked images in the trailer and everything like that. And I think that helped the movie. I, I actually think that it helped show that uh, dual personality factor and the craziness element of it. And it was able to help Defoe's performance. So I love that. Molina was great. Jamie Foxx, Electro, huge upgrade. Not just looks, which they were very self-aware with as well. Mentioning like, oh, I even look better now. Being like that as well. But uh, huge upgrade for him. I hated Jamie Foxx in this movie. But the actual, like, the look and I think his first, like, introduction and showing, like, the sheer power in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I I like the design and everything. It was such a great update from the last one. Yeah. I do think there are a lot of one-liners that didn't hit. That (laughs) Nunu. And, like, it was cool. He's like, I was kind of hoping that uh, he were black when he was talking to Andrew Garfield. Saying like I hope I, I was hoping that you were gonna be a black Spider-Man, a little a la Miles Morales coming up, just had the trailer, maybe a Miles Morales trilogy uh after the next Tom Holland, maybe perhaps live action. We'll see. But uh I thought that was pretty cool. But I agree with you, it was a little overdone on his part, everything else. Um, uh, so I agree hundred percent with Willem Dafoe. I thought he was incredible in this performance, a role he's returning to for the first time in nearly 20 years, 19 if we're being exact. Um, like him destroy. I actually like the move of him destroying the mask and like getting rid of the yeah. old suit. Um, primarily, maybe not for the reasons that most people are thinking. I loved it because he was more mobile and he could actually move. He didn't look like he was moving as robotronically. And him, that scene where Defoe is taken on Holland right before like the the, the demise of Aunt May is one of the best mcu one-on-one fight scenes i think i've ever seen it It is astounding him throwing almost like wwe moves willem dafoe picking up holland throwing him through wow these floors multiple floors these walls the scene where holland gets thrown out the window he takes his web and he shoots it right back at Defoe to pull him back in then Defoe grabs holland and swings him through three walls it's just astounding that whole fight. And I know the one-on-one fight we think of with Willem Dafoe is 
obviously the end of the first Spider-Man Always. movie. And the thing that that movie, let me, that, the difference between these two fights that I'm referring to, the original Spider-Man, there is zero background music. There is no background music. It is all just gore and it's all of just hate hate between characters and then a beatdown of Spider-Man similar to this scene that we had in No Way Home, right? And that one is incredible because you have like the imagery of all like you have the half and half of Tobey Maguire holding the mask. You get the iconic moment with like obviously the death of the Green Goblin. But here, this new one, I thought he was even scarier. He was insane. He was getting hit in the face. He was smiling. He, and you could see his emotions. He doesn't have a mask on. So you see what an absolute psycho this person was. And that he is just truly menacing. So I just wanted to give props with Defoe there. And especially with like a guy who uh, seems like, I mean, on social media, people are saying that he wanted to commit his own stunts to this movie. He wanted to throw Tom Holland through two flights of freaking floors. That is crazy. crazy. And that's why I just love Willem Dafoe so much and that he was willing to like return to this role. And then uh, anything you want to add about Doc Ock before I keep talking, I've been talking for too long. Well, I'll just say big weekend for Willem Dafoe, not just this movie, but Nightmare Alley as well. Yeah. So good in this movie. Uh, we'll do some comparisons a little bit later too. I know I brought up one earlier. Doc Ock, interesting what we need to talk about here. Uh, he did not behave in the same form as these other villains. Doc Ock was more of an ally to Tom Holland and the rest of the Spider-Man in this movie. What did you think of that decision, Flix? Did it work for you? Were you looking for a more menacing side? What do you think of Alfred Molina? Always, I always am looking for the menacing side. That's the best side of, of Doc Ock, using his brains to outwit Spider-Man and then the actual using the tentacle, machinery tentacles to just go to town on Spider-Man. So obviously that's what I prefer, but I think the way they did it, I think it worked. You still got the one-on-one battle in the beginning, so that's kind of like the where they used it. They used it early, but it was a good introduction to the multiverse and everything going on. The nanotech I thought was interesting. That was an interesting thing to to add there um but all in all like it kind of made it 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 made sense i didn't love it but i'm not gonna knock the movie for that because i do think defoe's performance was very very good very strong so that was like all you really need need to see is a strong green goblin to kind of make up for that and you got above and beyond that i think and it also showed the true character from spider-man 2 what they did with Doc Ock. Mm. We knew he was a good person from the beginning of that movie. These other characters, like the where we pick up from Doc Ock, he is right, he's he is about to basically destroy New York City with the power of the sun in the palm of my hand, right? That whole thing, he even says it. When he said it, I cringe a little bit, but I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So he is at the moment where he doesn't really reconcile with that decision where he's going to sink, right? The uh this weapon. That's going to destroy the city. And that's Spider-Man's trying to get him to kind of sink. And Spider-Man offers to do it himself, right? Sacrifice himself in typical Spider-Man fashion. So it's like he didn't know in his mind that he actually saved New York City. That's when he is sent to this another dimension. So you know that deep down, Doc Ock is not a bad person. So I wasn't surprised by his actions, like in the back half of this movie or in the final act of this movie. I think it lined up very well. And uh, 
it had me really happy because I'm like, it's not the same arc as all these other villains where like, oh, we need to turn evil. Like we're not being transported back. Like uh, we don't want to go back. He's he is thinking more as a human being. Right. In terms of like who he truly was. I know, like, obviously, kind of like Willem Dafoe did that same thing, but he also is like a schizophrenic type of side that yeah. is so popular. And like, it's obviously symbolized with the crashing of like the, the goblin suit and everything. So I just wanted to say I thoroughly enjoyed Molina here. And it was a, it was cool to see him interact with uh, Willem Dafoe because we never saw that. that. Yeah. We never saw that in the original trilogy. And when he's going like, Osborne, he's like Octavius. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's just like you never got to see that. You only got to see Octavius interact with Willem Dafoe's son, like Harry Osborne. Right. And everything. I, just, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I thought Harry was gonna get mentioned at some point in this movie. Like he I know did, he was. He did he was, not he by was, his dad though. I know. That's what I mean by either his dad or Melina. Doc Ock. I, right. I, I really the only mention was Peter saying "Dad in my arms." He didn't mention. It was just. It was very odd, but um, I, I guess there's more of a hopeful, hopeful thinking. But I, yes, I totally love the chemistry between Molina and Defoe. Just two great actors cool. uh, conversing. I like that a lot. Icons. And then uh, I didn't, like, honestly, I think they only kept Lizard in there. So they had two amazing Spider-Man villains to match yep. up with the three that were included from it's not bad, the Raimi trilogy. In- just there's no background. They had no context. Yeah. He looked. No it was a, another upgrade, similar to Jamie Fox, as in the look of the character. Agreed. Minimal lines. I I did want to say he uh, like when when everyone turned bad, he never really gave a reason that he turned bad, unless he wanted to turn everybody else into lizards again. Like yeah, like it just he, didn't make sense said. to me. He said uh, that's like his reason. And we're like, okay, weirdo. Just like, I don't, we really like the audience just doesn't care what you have to do and say. It's just, it's just like, it felt irrelevant to have him there, but it was just like almost just respecting the amazing Spider Man uh, yeah. movies. And then uh, Sandman. Sandman, like we talked about the motivations of these characters to act the way they do. Like for me, it didn't make sense for Sandman to join the side of these other villains when he wants to just go see his daughter. I guess Peter is trying to save these villains. Right. And make sure they can transport back to their respective universes. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't he just want to go back and just take Peter Parker's side? I just didn't understand that aspect. No. So he did. So the entire time. So right when he First got. Part, yeah. Yeah. He wanted to just go to see his daughter. And then he turned when um, he said, like, oh, like we're trying to cure everybody. He goes, no, I want to go home now. Oh, OK. He's like, I, I want to go home right now. And then finally, like, when everything was falling apart, he's like, all right, I'm finding this box. I'm getting this box myself. And I'm he bailing it. And bailed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was like, I think that wasn't clear enough, in my opinion. But, I, I'm glad yeah. you're following closely. I but just, uh, I, I will say, like, I know, I think also he looked better in this movie as well. And I think it was a good introduction for have, to have him kind of help Tom Holland, Spider-Man, defeat Jamie Foxx and get him captive captive right quarantine or whatever you want to call it in that jail mm-hmm. cell type I thing. like that in the first scene I did like that um but other than that kind of just there the rest of the time um that was like obviously like his core moment it was neat just had to Tony McGuire talk to him for five seconds say how's it going what's up how's everything going but besides that not really much and yeah similar to lizard Kurt Connors but to a lesser degree as in the screen time and the presence around it it was cool they gave those one-on-one moments with the original Spider-Man with their original villain. Yeah. Uh, like you knew that was happening, but it was still just cool to watch. 
And even even the ones as irrelevant as like Max Dillon and Andrew Garfield, it's still like, wow, it's just like they care enough about the previous movies. They're not really mm-hmm. caring too much about the length of this movie. They just want to make sure they give the fans what they want and more like going above that bar. It's kind of like the team of the episode so far. Definitely. And, and fan service. Nostalgia. OK, uh, uh, we got to talk about Tom Holland. We, this is his movie. And we have probably said his name maybe three times this entire podcast because of the uh, scale of this movie and who appears in this movie. So what do you think of Holland in this movie? Um, do you think this was his best performance yet as Spider-Man? I think so. I, th- I think this is his best performance yet. I think I'm not going to give anything away as in ranking the movies, but I think this was his best performance overall. And this was like the, like for me at least stamp of approval as in okay he's not only like a, a movie star superstar whatever you want to say but he's also a good actor like we saw him in devil all the time we saw him there but it was like kind of one note in that slow burn of a movie very very monotone like he was good not great not, not, not nothing special here you had those special moments him crying with in times square all the billboards with his picture on it and the reactions what a great shot that was conversing with the other spider-man right after aunt may dying i think there's a lot of scenes here that he really packed an emotional punch to the audience and also just really conveyed his emotions and feelings to the audience and then also at the very end the very end like the convert uh, like a brief donut store conversation with zendaya uh mj like again that was just like yep all right stamp of approval you're a good actor but you're doing uncharted next with mark Wahlberg, questionable but we move on. I mean, this separated him. I know in previous interviews that I've watched leading up to No Way Home, Tom Holland has said that the way he portrays Peter Parker, he wants him to be looked at, like in these previous movies, like this four or five he's done within the MCU. He wants to be like the Michael J. Fox for this generation, like him and Back to the Future. That's a literally a direct quote that he has said. He said, I want to be like the Michael J. Fox here. This is a step up where he is no longer in that phase. He is in a phase of the character is now his own Mm. at this point, right? With this, like, obviously, like, he got this universe built around him with the Sony universe. He has, like, the MCU, what they're all doing. And he finally has his moment as Spider-Man because he didn't get that in previous films. The first... Right, no, we talk about Civil War. It's obviously a it's a group He's film. Four minutes of screen it's time. It's a group film. Then we have end, uh, Infinity War, Endgame, group film, Homecoming. Iron Man is hovering in his shadow as a mentor role. Then we have Far From Home. You could argue that even though. Uh, Iron Man isn't in that movie. He's very a strong, he's a strong impact and influence yeah. on Holland in that movie. And then you also have Nick Fury there. This one. Like people were expecting Doctor Strange to potentially take up a mantle role here. Not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso once said. He basically, first of all, he defeats Doctor Strange in an earlier moment of this movie. Right. He outsmarts him. Whether that is like within the realm of belief or not is another question. Mm. But, right, it's him taking on also these like uh, themes of Spider-Man, of sacrifice, and then also looking out for um, the, those you love rather than yourself. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So it's like that selflessness and he really takes on all those themes in this movie. And then it's not just when he's wearing the spider suit, the end of the movie is so heartbreaking and he's protecting those that he loves. He's not going to tell, he sees 
like the ending is perfect in my opinion. I, I don't Agreed. want to hear people saying they didn't like it because this is exactly what Spider-Man's all about. He wants to make sure those people he care about, he cares about are okay. So he sees that MJ and Ned Leeds, they get into MIT. They are successful not knowing who Peter Parker is. They are happy, right? And so when he realizes that, it almost gave me the vibe of like these previous iterations that I'm going to talk about in terms of sacrifices they make. But he recognizes that I cannot intervene on their lives because of who I am, because of what I stand for, right? So Mm -hmm. I think I I think it was beautiful. It was just beautiful to see and his acting like now, like the right after um, Aunt May dies, I thought was incredible. That scene with him emotional afterwards, like he just made even with these two Spider-Man, it was still his movie and it was clearly his movie. Of course, it was always going to be. So I I just think I think he killed it. And I think it's easily the best performance he's ever had as Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I will say as well. Um, you mentioned the ending. I also think perfect ending, not just to the movie and his character in the movie, but the trilogy. The whole trilogy is about him going through high school, um, like his friendship with Ned, becoming friends and ultimately with MJ and the friendship and core high school elements, right? A coming of age trilogy, you could say. And this at the end is like, all right, this is a restart. He's, he's finally matured. He's finally like, like in the beginning of the movie, he's like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm Spider-Man besides MJ, besides Ned's, besides Aunt May. But now like nobody does. He had to like, mature and say, all right, I will set, make the sacrifice. Boom. Then go back to core Spider-Man. Nobody knowing, um, like basically nobody knowing that like the Mysterio thing either. And just, he's going to have to start from the ground up again. He's got the GED books. He's going to have to do high school on his own. He's going to have to go to college on his own make that like basically just be himself with his friends again, not rely on Spider-Man, yada, yada, yada. He has the suit. It's basically a full reset, but he's now like an actual like mature Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And he had the original suit to go along with it. I love it. This next trilogy has so many opportunities they can go now. And I think that it was so smart. I'm just surprised that when Kevin Feige came out yesterday or today and said like, oh, we're going to start working on Spider-Man 4 in the next trilogy right away. You haven't thought about that already? Like, I I, I thought, like, um, they'd be like, oh, like, we probably have a couple of things already planned out. But, oh, no, like, I'm not that surprised that he said that either because, like I said, it's a complete reset, and you have so many opportunities, so many areas that you could jump and make leaps to to make this character, this next trilogy, even better. The, the full quote from Feige, he said he wanted to just put it out there that Spider-Man 4 is an active development because... He doesn't want people questioning, is Sony going to collaborate again with Marvel in terms of making mm-hmm. the next Spider-Man film? He just wanted to make sure they know the next movie will got be with it, within the MCU. Um, I mean, I like I, I, talking about, I thought he just had his moments. He had his Spider-Man moments in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like when we talk about Tobey Maguire facing the death of Uncle Ben at the beginning of the first Spider-Man, we have that moment almost parallel with Aunt May playing that role in No Way Home where Tom Holland faces that Green Goblin has killed, right? The person that he loves most, most the one who looks after him, right? It's Aunt May. So, and then you also have those moments in terms of, it made me think of, um, like when he's in like the uh, diner where MJ works and he sees Ned and they don't know who he is. It reminded me a lot of those moments, like with McGuire 
facing Gwen Stacy after the death of Captain Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man, mm. where he recognizes that I, I have to commit to who I am. I can't endanger those around me and I can't risk their overall well-being. And then mm-hmm. it's also that moment at the end of the first Spider-Man where Tobey Maguire is talking with Kirsten Dunst as, as Mary Jane. At and where funeral. he's like, I can't say I love you. I can't like, it takes a lot of pain for myself. The selflessness that Tom Holland displays in this movie is what's made Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield such great Spider-Men and one that embodied the exact character in the comic books. So mm-hmm. I just, in that respect, I think he was spectacular. He was really spectacular. Um, so, I, I, I just to jump in real quick. Yeah. You mentioned the end of Spider-Man, uh, Tobey Maguire, 2001, like after the funeral. And then he has the narration, like, I am Spider-Man. I thought after the happy, like there, Aunt May's grave, I'm, I'm, I'm having that nostalgia factor. I'm like, oh my God, are they going to end this trilogy the same way they end Spider-Man 1 with him walking away in slow-mo and doing a narration maybe? I was literally thinking that. And, oh my they, God. I, and I, I honestly thought they were about to do it. Obviously they did not. And I liked that they didn't um, based on what happened next. I think it was better than what that would have been, but the thought entered my mind. And speaking of like these impactful moments, the death of aunt may Marissa Tomei, did you like that move in this movie? Uh, Ricky flexed. Uh, I know it seemed like uh, you almost, when I, when we talked about it afterwards, you're walking out of the theater, you kind of gave me a look like, yeah, of course she died. Like almost, it's, right? it's just a part of the character's arc in general. Like uh-huh. she was gonna die at some point, right? When she said, "With great power comes great responsibility," yeah. you knew it was game yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, right when she said that, I'm like, "Oh, she's a goner for sure, confirmed." Like you can't just lay down the one of the most, if not the most iconic line in movies, and then just keep living. No, you're done. I think I think she had to go too because this actually like the previous two films like she never had that much of an impact and influence on this franchise, and you finally give her a moment where she can have the spotlight and you can give her a mm-hmm, moment where mm-hmm. you like a defining moment of the career of Spider Man that he needed from someone that like we already we have him obviously with Spider with Iron Man but he, Peter's the one dying in that crucial moment. Right. Where it's like uh, Infinity War, obviously Endgame, they have the, sh- the slow, uh, the short yeah. moment together. But that's more about like Gwyneth Paltrow, like the facing the death of her husband. Like it's just that's like a, it's like a totally yeah, different yeah, scenario. It's, different. it's not for Spider-Man. That's a that's an Avenger movie. Like this is a moment that's it's all about Spider-Man, his loved ones that's surrounding him, those who care about him. And it was a defining moment for Marissa Tomei, who feels like she was just a pretty face that played Aunt May for through two and a half movies. And. I, just to add on to that is like in the first two movies, like there were some scenes like when she was at the charitable foundation events and things like that. And then this one, obviously like the homeless shelter. And then she's like the driving force, the movement behind, oh, let's try to cure and save these villains rather than just send them back to die. Right. She was like the driving force for Tom Holland's Spider-Man decision. So it just makes sense like for her to kind of like die saying like with great power comes great responsibility and Tom Holland saying, we got to send him back. But then that just, that goes against what everything I stood for basically right. similar to where Spider-Man one, like uncle Ben, where it's like, uh, it's uh, Tom McGuire. Spider-Man is just messing around with his powers, trying to make money to buy a car uh, at these like boxing WWE type of wrestling events. But then he dies. He's like, Oh, I got to use my powers for more than this. Similar type of thing. So it just made sense for her to die. Sad, yes, but I think, again, complete reset. 
complete reset. Let's move this character forward and make even better Spider-Man in the next trilogy, which I think I, is completely possible now. And I agree uh, with what you said in terms of like, it helped the writing of this movie. It, it really did help the writing. So it's like, cause the one thing I questioned throughout this movie, like it felt awkward. It felt weird the entire time where it's like, we have Peter Parker, like you could say this is maybe not great writing, but it helps the writing where you have Peter Parker basically saying, I'm going to send back, I want to save the life of Green Goblin. I want to save the life of Dr. Octopus, Lizard, like all these terrible people, not, not necessarily Dr. Octopus, it goes against what I said earlier, mm-hmm. but he wants to save the lives of these villains, these evil like personas. And even though he doesn't know them, like he wants to save them, yada, yada, yada. It just rubbed me the wrong way. But with having Aunt May say that like he needs to send these people back, they need to stay alive or whatever, that helps the fact that in like in terms of the audience, like, oh, Aunt May said to do this, she just died. Peter has to do this now. And then also with her dying, it it avoids the entire, this is almost like used as like a crutch. It, like they they avoid the entire scenario where the whole world forgets who Peter Parker is. You avoid that fact where Aunt May doesn't have to forget who Peter Parker is. You know what I mean by that? So I was always confused. I don't know how this whole thing's going to work. It's like almost like, uh, I don't even know what it's going to be. It's like back to the future, like figuring out different rules of time travel and things like that. Yeah, so, similar to the blip, like similar following the rules of the blip. It's going to be the rules this is gonna of be Peter way Parker. more confusing. This is going to be way more confusing. Like, like Michael Keaton's vulture. Doesn't yeah. know who Peter Parker is anymore. Right. Good point, Ricky Flicks. And that, like, and that's a good connection when we have Morbius coming up. Like, are they going to be interconnected? Nick Fury with the MCU. Nick Fury, good, Ricky. They're going to have to reintroduce these all, all these elements, or he just stays friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, not an Avenger ever again. Boom. Oh man. Speaking of Nick Fury and other members of the MCU, there's one thing we need to talk about, and something I almost forgot to write a question about. An important cameo that didn't have a lot of relevance towards the movie, to be honest. But this is a classic MCU teaser to the future of the MCU. And that is one Matt Murdock played by Charlie Cox in the beginning of the movie as Peter Parker's attorney. What do you think about his appearance in the MCU? Okay, I have a couple of notes on this one. Only one scene. Cameo. Pure cameo. Fine with it. I'm completely fine with it. Whatever. Also, we need to find a lawyer. You knew it was like coming. But like... Easy. How in the heck are you finding him as your lawyer in Hell's Kitchen when you're in Queens? Like, what are we doing here? Like, it makes no sense. But you know what? We got to bring in Matt Murdock anyways, especially with the release of Hawkeye with a special uh, appearance in, in, at the end of Hawkeye last week. He Wednesday. might be in this next so, episode. Yeah. So this is a key, like Marvel being Marvel dropping at the right time. Big. Finally, what the heck? They made the brick. What was that? I'm a good, I'm a good lawyer. What the frick is that? Terrible line. Terrible, Terrible line. writing. That was so cringe. I, I, you can't, you just don't do that. That was. I wanted more of a tip that he was a superhero. Like, give me a little bit more. It was just like, they just wanted the facial recognition, right? Yeah. You got the good reflexes, mm-hmm. but I want something where it's like, it's almost teasing a future team up with them. Because right. I could see that happening. Like we talked about this previously on other episodes. There are so many examples in the comic books and on TV shows where not even like he does like Daredevil will not steal a whole episode or a comic book from Spider-Man, but he'll check in with Spider-Man. They'll like, he'll ask for Intel from Daredevil and be like, Hey, I need help with something. And then they'll discuss, like, I wanted a little bit more juice 
right in terms of like what they were bringing with daredevil i know it'd be hard to like put him in a suit in any fashion because then you're like oh my god he's got to kick some butt alongside these other three spider-men everything like that um but it was it was exciting to see and i'm glad that he it's like finally confirmed all these rumors and stills and these um leaks that have been coming out and uh i'm, I'm glad they're sticking with this guy what i don't like is that he apparently is going to have a featured role in echo this series coming off as a it diminishes daredevil hawkeye like why the hell it, be, it should be echo making a cameo for daredevil like 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 he's a boss he's a boss i don't want to he carried series. a netflix show for three seasons yes 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 and so like i don't know if they like don't want to confuse the tones of like the two shows because obviously it's a little darker on the netflix series and they want to make him just have as a supporting role in this echo series maybe gets a movie afterwards i don't think they should make a show of daredevil because it's just going to be constantly compared they already did it netflix they already did constantly compared so it's just like you can't like okay season four of daredevil or season one of daredevil too confusing okay so in that situation, I don't want him just to be a sidekick of this Echo person, right? Of uh, one introducing Hawkeye. I want him next to Spider-Man potentially in another film or getting That's his right. own solo movie in some capacity, maybe taking on the Kingpin. And also he forgets Spider Peter Parker too. So it's going to be a reintroduction of that as well. Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> Terrible. I, I just, this is going to annoy me. It just makes no sense too, because like now it's like, all right, well, the world was talking about Peter Parker for like a week straight or whatever. And everyone knows what he did in infinity war and Endgame or whatever. So it's Every, like, everyone knows. So the Spider-Man still. Yeah. So like, if we're going to get real, like uh meta woke or meta be like, Oh, like Endgame, like we could never have survived the blip if it wasn't for Spider-Man technically, because he had to be there, stuff like that. And like, you would have to recognize that if you recognize the blip, then you recognize Peter Parker Yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah, I don't know how this is all going to work. It just, it's, again, like you mentioned the blip problem in the MCU. Now it's the Peter Parker in the MCU. It's a lot of fishing for things. Um, it doesn't detract from my my rating of this movie at all. I just think that going moving forward as, tough. hey, th- like it's, it's going to be tough. There's already been Disney Plus shows. They're in right in the end game wave right now with the new streaming service. People have been watching these. Some of the shows have been hits. Some have been not misses as in people viewing them but just not nearly as good. It's going to be interesting to see how many people continue to watch these shows, continue to watch these movies, every single one that is not just uh, nitpicking certain events and whatnot. Right. And you're going to have to keep watching every single one. And I think that you sooner or later, people are just going to stop watching everything and they're not going to know these references. So it's just really, it's going to be apparent for them to really choose when to implement these, like the blip comments, crucial, the Peter Parker crucial comments elements and what shows and things like that. Right. It's got to be something that's widely seen. Like you wouldn't have a a situation this severe in something like a Shang-Chi. You're going to have it in a movie as big as Spider-Man No Way Home. That's the third biggest opening of all time because, you know, every MCU fan will have seen this at some point. So, Ricky Flex, where I want to go next is nitpicks with the movie because I definitely had a few. All right. Do you want to lead off with any that kind of stuck in your mind? I know this is kind of like you're pretty good at these. Like you, you'll pick them up during any movie we watch. You'll say, hey, well, like, how did this happen because of this? Like something like the small details that most uh, viewers did not take into account. Well, I'll say, like I mentioned, the screen time balance I thought was very good. I just don't think all the villains hit. And we did t- talk about it earlier, so I don't want to just repeat for the sake of repeating. Um, another thing we you actually said it rubbed you the wrong way was 
the cure element, the actually saving element. Like the purpose of Sp- Spider-Man is to save the neighborhood. We're protecting the neighborhood. All right. And if the best thing for the neighborhood uh, is to send these people home right away, then you do it. You do that. You don't keep them around and try to cure them. And it sure, it makes sense with the Aunt May story arc. And finally, by the third act, because at the end of the second act, uh, she dies, right? So it makes sense by the third act. And the third act is by far the strongest strongest act uh, with the two other Spider-Men. But the first act with them trying to do this and the second act, just not like completely different movies. They're just completely different movies, not nearly as uh, mm-hmm. well executed. Um but I do believe that it was still still a very good movie. It just I just it, like you said, it rubbed me the wrong way, and I think was a significant detractor from the movie, as in just from a pure enjoyment viewing experience. Yeah, so I had that as well. Um, I thought the first act was not nearly as strong as the second and third. Um, and as I said before, they kind of used Aunt May's death to justify the motives exactly. for, for like it wasn't enough just to have her die it would they needed her to die so it would justify what peter did and that's kind of messed up <laughs> in my opinion mm-hmm. um yeah so i agree 100 what else do you got what else do you have um i know it's like uh trying to think it's on ned well ned was like he's ned's ned like it's a very corny movie a lot of like the zendaya like you saw from the trailer the just i know a magic word please no, but like um, the portal. portal oh, the portal is a big you, one. Too. Like that's a big beef. I thought you would have had with this. Movie. I do. I, I have it written down. Like using it's just, the it's just like all this. Like it, how long did it take Doctor Strange to learn how to open those damn portals? It did. It took him a half a, a whole act of a movie. Right. So I'm just saying, like, yes, he has this ring or whatever, and then they only hint at they kind of hint at the future of Ned potentially in the MCU, saying like maybe he's going to be a student of Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange says like, did you open those portals? Did you close those portals and everything like that? And he's hinted at like, oh, my my grandma says we have magic in the family and all this stuff. But yeah. what it gave off to me was like, like when Ray starts to wield a lightsaber and oh at the end of Force we're comparing Ned. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like like having those powers and abilities when you haven't been trained in the any way, any capacity, and all of a sudden you look like you're an expert at doing something, it just it, it rubbed me the wrong way. But it was just a way that you obviously bring the Spider Man into the universe, and then you bring Doctor Strange back. That was the purpose. But let's see if they do something later with it. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I had was Wong being the Sorcerer Supreme. That's probably going to have implications in the next in the Sam Raimi Multiverse of Madness. It's going to limit Doctor Strange probably in some capacity. Right. And then obviously then the post credit scene, he's going to have a tall task uh, to face in the next movie. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I also wrote down four, uh, well, three people from the same school going to MIT, let alone four. That would be uh, that's interesting. Haven't heard that MIT that mixer thing was also something a little beef I had. I was just like, yeah, oh, like and, it happens to be on this day. Where is this mixer right. happening? They live in New York. Like, and the, yeah, the same day as you get admitted, there's a mixer going on, like very, very odd. And then that whole, obviously, just the the whole sequence to get to the bridge to get to the end of the first act with Molina was very shaky. It was it was it was held on by like like four year old gum like the stretchiness of it they kept stretching and stretching the believability mm-hmm. of all everything, um, yeah. And then I just had two other things. Uh, yeah. One of them's a big thing, but this one I'll just say quickly: the spell not working was very uh, very shaky as well. Like Doctor Strange is like the greatest wizard sorcerer in the in the universes or whatever, and but not the supreme. 
but not the Supreme, but also like uh, some kids saying, oh, include, include Ned, include is going to throw it off and like whatever. Like, I don't know. That just seemed that also rubbed me the wrong way. This is Dr. Strange. We've seen him do incredible things. The like, I don't know. And he was gone in the movie for 12 hours. Like you couldn't get out of that for 12 hours. Like, I don't know as that as well. But then my big detractor. I, I, I had that as well. And then my biggest detractor in this movie is also the thing I liked most about this movie. The nostalgia. This was fan service nostalgia movie. But the best act was because of the nostalgia and the fan service. And I think that's a big problem. I, I don't think, I think that if you take away the two Spider-Men in this movie, or you just take away all the old villains and you put in a new villain or something like that, I know it'd be a completely different movie. I'm just saying, like, I think it didn't save the movie, but just the fan service and just your pure, like, oh my God, I love Tobey Maguire's movies. Or like, oh wow, Andrew Garfield, it's so good to see him back in the suit and completing his arc. Like, I just think that that, like it kind of relied on fan service and nostalgia. And I didn't like that um, as like a, a critic, uh, critically, uh, from a critical perspective, from a fan's perspective, I freaking I, loved it. But I think that actually was a detractor of the movie. I don't think it was. And why? Because they, it, they, writ, they, writ, they wrote the characters of Garfield and Maguire in a way that actually made sense based on their last appearances in the movie and it provided closure something that we talked about before i know it's not something that the mcu is necessarily concerned with or tom holland is concerned with but i think they wrote it with enough care that they properly gave the these characters their end you know so it's just like i was i was perfectly fine with it i understand that people like would think they completely leaned on it but it was also providing closure for characters that never got that closure and it ended up helping progress tom holland's character Right. And like based on what they've learned. Right. Now Tom Holland will learn. Right. Based on their mistakes. And like now Tom Holland's going through the same thing as, as his own Peter Parker. So I didn't mind that as much, but I hear what you're saying. I have a couple uh, other things, but I just went on a huge rant. So what about you? So that's basically it. I, I had Ned. I talked about the motivations of both uh, Tom Holland to actually send these people back and the motivations of these villains earlier in the episode where they don't want to go back and everything like that, obviously, because they're going to die. But like, um, I just thought I, I, that was the, that was the major, major issue I had with it. And then Ned opening these portals without having any experience. That was the big, yeah. big, big thing. Um, yeah. And a couple other things, humor, I think it just felt forced and not genuine a lot. Like not I thought Spider-Man. that was like that far from home. That was a lot worse than this movie, in my opinion. I, I agree, but I think it's because there's a, I think it's because there's other students and teachers involved, even though they were involved, but barely. But I just felt more forced in this movie, particularly with Ned and Zendaya. But whatever, I think that's not a huge attractor. Another thing is the Loki element. We still haven't like acknowledged uh, Loki, like what happened in the Disney Plus series. I don't think it's a detractor from this movie. I'm just interested. Purple cracks coming. Right. And like you saw like some of the the characters in that like crack coming through. Like I thought I saw a rhino and it was also rhino was acknowledged in this movie. Wow. Um, But uh, I just think that that's interesting because we still haven't acknowledged Loki. Are we waiting until Ant-Man quantum media or is it going to be Dr. Strange multiverse of madness? They're going to acknowledge Loki. I don't know when I'm just interested to see when we keep talking about the multiverse but when exactly will we be getting a reference to the Disney plus show? Because that will be huge relating like series to movies. In the I, MCU. I, and we talked, we talked about, we teased like we're going to have a discussion on the post credits. I think it's safe to assume 
not safe, but I think it's very likely that we see Loki in Doctor Strange too. Okay. Like he will. I think he'll have an appearance. I think that would be the moment to do it. Um, speaking of the post credits, um, let's, uh, we have Doctor Strange two trailer that came out in, like at the very very end. It wasn't just a stinger. It was like it was like a two minute trailer that we got for Doctor Strange two. And we also initially uh, mid credit we had Tom Hardy following the events at the end of. Uh, Venom, let there be carnage. Venom, let there be carnage. They see him and Venom. I sh- I'm saying they are on vacation at a Caribbean location, and they see a news clip of J. Jonah Jameson uh, revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and that causes them to obviously you have Venom's like, oh, we have to go see Spider-Man, whatever things like this, yada yada yada. And then at the end of the movie. Doctor Strange obviously casts a spell so no one remembers who Peter Parker is. Therefore, this whole event with J. Jonah Jameson never happens. And then it appears Tom Hardy is sent back to his uh, former universe, right, in the Sony-verse. Uh, except there is a blip of symbiote that is left on the Caribbean that is kind of setting up a black suit Spider-Man in the future for Tom Holland. So Ricky Flux, what do you think about that first post mid credit scene? I should say. Mm-hmm. I think that also goes to effect where like we were with Scotty furious. He didn't see venom too. So like he had, he didn't like, it Tough. goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, you can't just keep acknowledging these things and expecting other people to like, know the audience to know what you're talking about. Cause there's so many movies to see and there's so many shows to see. So they got to start like making it more concise, making it more detailed uh, and oriented around a certain franchise, not just the universe, because it's, it's a really- post credit for an MCU movie. It's a, it's a mid credit scene for an MCU movie that has a Sony movie implication. So it's like, there's a good chance. Like a lot of people haven't seen that. So yeah, right. I agree just 100%. from box office numbers as well. Um, but, and also the sequel to, to Venom. So, um, and not everyone loved Venom, but uh yeah, I will say this is a letdown spot. Not gonna be able to see Tom Hardy against Tom Holland. We've always said like that just be that's kind of weird, but you still wanted to see it. It's still Tom Hardy, another big time A-list actor that would have joined the MCU, would have been great. Now it's just gonna be the symbiote. You you mentioned it's probably gonna be a black suit Spider-Man. Okay, I'm fine with that. That would be cool. Um, I, I do want to see a Venom versus Spider-Man, though. I really do. Um, so that's just disappointing from my standpoint. So I feel like if they have the black suit Spider-Man, there will be a Venom in the movie. Right, but it I won't be know. Tom Hardy. Right, or they figure out a way using what Loki has with the multiverse to bring him back in. Like, like oh but I don't think gosh. they, I don't think they would keep going back and forth. It's like Michael Scott with the snip snap, snip snap. You got to make right. a decision. And so it's a good. Ch- there, I think there's a chance that they bring another Venom that's more yeah, of Tom. Yeah, a different age. Eddie Brock. different Eddie Brock and that's just like this kind of sad thing is that we have this huge franchise like you could say Venom is a franchise now there's going to be a third one most likely it's absolutely a franchise yeah like it's its own separate thing inside the Sony uh, Sony universe and we're not going to just have him face Spider-Man his biggest foe like you if we're not going from a Spider-Man perspective going from a Venom perspective that's crazy but whatever I guess and he's cutting this Spider-Man's coming into his own too, in terms of like a physical force. And like, like, like Tom Holland looked like he was beefing up for this role Definitely. in this third Spider-Man compared to the previous two, his maturation in the role. I think it was lining up better to face a Tom Hardy venom. So it's, it is disappointing. And uh, yeah, so it'd be weird if they have a black suit Spider-Man, just no Eddie Brock. That'd be weird. 
if they did that. I don't know what kind of story they would put together there. And um, Um, I did, like, I didn't realize this during the immediate, because I was so disappointed because it was clear, like, God, most likely Tom Hardy won't be facing Tom Holland. But um, I was like, also complaining, saying like, oh, like, if only people coming into this Tom Holland Spider-Man universe were people that knew Peter Parker, how on earth would Tom Hardy get uh, his Eddie Brock be able to get into this universe but like at shortly like 15 minutes after i was driving home with scotty furious and i was like wait doesn't it that makes total sense because in the post credit scene for venom 2 he said the symbiote says like oh i've been around for billions or millions of years so like i've seen everything and then obviously he knows who peter parker is the symbiote not tom hardy and the symbiote is a part of tom hardy eddie brock so when they do get put into the universe they just go together because they're one so it all makes sense so yeah. I, that's why, like, you were probably saying, like, in the beginning, like, oh, I was so disappointed, which I still am, but I was even more so because I was originally saying, like, that's a huge flaw. But no, it makes gotcha. sense. No, I hear you now. All right. And we, we got to talk about the second post credit real quickly. Uh, we get, I know we're going really long here and we still got a draft to do. But Doctor Strange 2 into the Multiverse of Madness. We get the first trailer featuring, obviously, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. We got um, Rachel McAdams coming back as Dr. Jane Palmer. We have who else? We have America Chavez making an appearance in this movie who plays Miss America. And then uh, who else we got? We, we got anything? Oh, we have Baron Mordo played by Shewitel as Gio4 coming back with dreadlocks. Uh, you know, dreads was it braids? braids. Uh, I have Shewitel back with dreads, but it might be braids. <laughs> I think I don't remember. I think I think I think it was I think it was braids, but he's here. Um, big, back after big his return first appearance after 20, yes, it's been and, five and, years it's gonna right it's long 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 time and he, during that time he was on a high you know 12 years a slave oscar nominated now he's coming off of anton fuqua's and mark Wahlberg's infinite which was a huge disaster yeah. so and he's just been on a decline since so now this is this is uh hey we got to pick it back up here got to pick it back up going next to benedict cumberbatch again elizabeth olsen here we go. And then not just Dr. Strange, but what if episode four, the best episode in that season? That's uh, the biggest takeaway. Supreme, Supreme uh, Strange. So, so big. So people have been kind of hinting that maybe we have Elizabeth Olsen, Scarlet Witch being the villain of this series after her kind of semi-villainous role in WandaVision. And then we also have potential for Agatha Harkness for coming into this movie in some capacity when we have Scarlet Witch. And then obviously Baron Mordo coming back in a villainous role rather than as a peer of Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. Um, but the big takeaway, I think for me at least, was the um, dark Doctor Strange. Do we get Cumberbatch playing two different roles in this movie? And it's a direct call to the What If series. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it's going to be connected to what happened in What If or if it's just adapting what happened in What yeah, If. Probably an adaption. And but it's the, the, the characters look identical to what if it's mm-hmm. it, and it, you see like um, the original get some type of Doctor Strange getting married in a scene with Jane Rachel Palmer. McAdams. We assume we assume. Right. So it's kind of adopting that idea from what if people can kind of safely assume. Right. Where it's like Doctor Strange will go through infinite possibilities until he finally gets to marry 
right? Rachel McAdams and be with her. And it could create this dark Dr. Strange that he's going to end up having to face, right? This alternate, maybe it's from an alternate reality, right? Multiverse of madness, obviously. Right, right. And that's what makes us also think Loki's going to make an appearance here and potentially Sylvie. It could be a massive spectacle. Yeah. I, uh, I was thinking when I saw Rachel McAdams in the like the wedding dress, I was like, oh, and then after like the after the trailer, and then you see the Supreme Supreme uh Doctor Strange. It's like, all right, he'll probably like enter and be like, Who the like how the heck did you happen? And then he tells him his life story, basically how he became who he is. And it's like a flashback sequence inside the movie. And that's probably one of the flashback sequences is him marrying Rachel McAdams. But um I'll say this as well. There's a lot of stuff going on here. We got Wanda coming in the picture. Shichwell, uh, whatever you say his last name, he's coming back. Yeah, he's coming back. Doctor Strange coming off of this movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, and all the implications from this movie that has just been created. The multiverse, possibly Loki. A new director, Sam Raimi, coming in. The horror element. Supreme Doctor Strange. And you hear all this rumbling of reshoots. 40 to 60% of this movie has had to do reshoots, undergo reshoots. I think I know why. It's got to be because of the Supreme. No? Well, well, so this movie initially was supposed to come out before Spider-Man No Way Home. And so it's kind of reacting to the effects of Spider-Man No Way Home. So they had to kind of rewrite parts of the script to match up what just went down. Mm. And I think that's a huge, and that's a COVID situation where COVID has kind of replaced like these, like these movies when they were supposed to be released. We initially were going to get Dr. Strange uh, this year. Yeah. Dr. Strange too. It was supposed to come before No Way Home. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's a good point. So these reshoots are basically, they're kind of fixed the, this, this order of like movies being shot right, and good like call. How, like, those ramifications I, I i was getting a little nervous but now you got me back full 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 blown excitement so that's good um <laughs> but yeah all in all wow we got a full trailer after no way home after that Crazy. dark ending and then that reset the new suit very cool but the big question dr row is hey will ned be in it oh my god <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for our review of Spider-Man No Way Home. No, I'm just kidding. We had to get out scores. Ricky Flicks, what do you got? 89 out of 100. 89. 89. Okay. Um, This is a 93 for me. This is a 93 from Dr. O. Uh, Small nitpicks. Uh, but overall, man, what a what a spectacle this movie was. And uh, I probably will see it a third time in two weeks coming up. Uh, at some point this week, I'll watch Love it this. again. Uh, that's going to officially do it for our review of Spider-Man No Way Home. We are now going to move on to our top billing draft of Spider-Man. Ricky Flex, we are now moving on to our top billing draft of the week, and it is all things Spider-Man to go on with the theme of this episode. We did a similar thing with Batman Day a few months back where we drafted our favorite Batman, movie, villain, supporting character, Batmobile. We switched up the categories a tiny bit this time for the Spider-Man franchise in honor of No Way Home. So we have Best Spider-Man as a category. We have Best Spider-Man Movie. We have Best Spider-Man Villain. We have Best Supporting Character and Best Love Interest from all, I would say, four Spider-Man franchises, including Into the Spider-Verse. 
no teasing picks. So, Ricky Flex, do you have any questions before we launch into this draft and uh, talk about our favorite things of all Spider-Man? So, like, similar to the Batman draft, like, we don't have to just pick from the movies. Yeah. So, so you're asking, like, uh, shows and shows things of that nature? Yeah, we have, I, absolutely. I didn't take that into account with a lot of my picks here, but uh, now that you said that, I think I have an idea. But um, I'm ready to go. Yeah, you can absolutely pick from a show. This okay. is the multiverse. Okay. And then my other thing I was going to say is uh, we're not doing scores, but it'd be kind of obvious that the animated series would be number one and followed closely by Sam Raimi, Spider-Man, probably. The animated say. series for, for what? Everything? For the 90, for the score, uh, music, theme oh, song. Yeah. God. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I thought you meant the score. I was, I was confused because we just gave our scores. Oh, music no score, home. music score. Yeah, music yeah score. No, 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 That like, obviously the, the Raimi one, I'm, that's going to be at the beginning, the middle and transition. And then the end. At the end. The yeah. The funeral. No, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it every, no, I'm putting it in the episode. Like I'm putting oh, it in okay, every single okay. like potential good man, moment. Good man. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's get it going. You got a coin flip. I'll go tails. Coin is flipped. This is like the, it's tails. This is like the Tails. third time this has happened in a row. Okay. So I get the first pick. Okay. So I get two. All right. Okay. I'm going to go movie to start. I'm going to settle this. I'm going with Spider-Man 2 as the number one overall pick. And I'm putting in the category, obviously, of Spider-Man movie. So I wanted to get to this point. I'll wait for Ricky Flick's to uh, i wanted to have this discussion during the review but we thought it was a better idea to save us for the draft the way for ricky flicks to take his pick and so i can kind of explain why i have spider-man 2 over a few other iterations of spider-man um but just talking about spider-man 2 and that alone it's more about toby mcguire growing up with that spider-man doc ock uh the humanistic element of his villain and then it's also the struggles of Peter Parker in Spider-Man 2, all right, I thought were – they kind of addressed it in No Way Home where it was an uh, existential crisis he was having. We were getting almost a little philosophical with Spider-Man. We're going deeper in Spider-Man, okay, compared to the initial Spider-Man. And I, I personally, I like the performance of Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2 opposed to a more campy Willem Dafoe in Spider-Man 1. Right, I'll put that on the table right now. It could be a controversial take, okay? And uh, it has an epicness level to it. Um, even more so, it kind of raises stakes following the first Spider-Man. You have oh, also the di- you have the dynamic between Harry Osborn growing the animosity between him and Peter Parker. You have Mary Jane potentially going with a different suitor, and then obviously you have an awesome third act right where harry osborne finds out who peter Par- who spider-man truly is and that is one of the best moments i think i've ever seen in a movie theater so spider-man 2 is my first overall pick i'm taking it in movie i think you kind of summed it up perfectly that would have been my first movie as well so i i think you summed it up perfectly if someone did say they liked spider-man the green goblin like toby mcguire's first uh based on nostalgia basically like the core Spider-Man, like the core origin story, basically the template. I couldn't knock them for that. But I do think just up from all the points you said, like I completely agree. Spider-Man 2 is the greatest Spider-Man movie that there is. 
when you eventually when we, you eventually take your movie, I'll go into why I took it over some other ones that people consider the best Spider-Man movie. Like I'm willing to have that conversation, but I'm going to wait till you pick yours. All right. So you are now up with your first round pick, Ricky Flex. Okay. So Spider-Man 2 off the board. I'll wait for movie. Now, if I had the first overall pick, this is the pick I would have done. And it's based on pure value, basically pure value. I, I think and I heard you say. It is crazy how we didn't mention him. I don't know I if know. we did mention him in it. our review, but it's J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson as supporting character. The ultimate supporting character. If you're not going to be able to pick a love interest, even if you did, I still would pick J. Jonah Jameson. The fact that they're bringing back, bringing back J.K. Simmons off of his high from uh, from this past decade as well. I know that probably is a huge factor, but the fact that they had bring bring him back and not just bring him back, but he is in this movie a lot. He's not just behind the desk or just in the office. He's actually moving around. He's going to uh, Happy's house to follow Spider-Man and to actually report on the scene. Like he actually has an integral factor. And now what is he, what's this next trophy going to encompass for J. Jonah Jameson? Is Tom Hong going to get a job as a photographer at the Daily uh, Well, what does they call it now here? Like this blog series. Daily Bugle. Is it still the Daily Bugle? I thought I saw yeah. a blogger or something. I think it's dailybugle.net. Okay. Well, what if he gets hired to go there or something like that so he can make money to earn like for that apartment that he has similar a la Spider-Man 2 that we just talked about to McGuire's apartment. So all in all, easy for me to pick this first. Happy to get it here. Pure value. I'm going J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. So that this was my, I think it was my number one. It was this or another person. And I'm happy. I, I'm so happy. I'm going to get this other person I want for supporting character, but yeah, it was, uh, it was surprising to see the significant amount of screen time that he received in no way home. And it shows that he's going to be a factor going forward, especially with Spider-Man going to be on his own. J. Jonah Jameson wasn't a huge factor, obviously in the first two elements of this MCU Spider-Man. So him in this next trilogy could be something to see. Uh, and then I, if I was picking, like, obviously you got to go with the original trilogy just because of the mustache. The, yeah. Like, oh, well, the jokes okay. that he cracks. We have to be clear going with the original. In his, in his interactions with Betty Brandt and um, what's the other guy's name? I forget. Uh, but... His assistants at the Daily Bugle. I, I do want to figure out, is it Ray? Like, what's his name? Charlie? What's that guy's name, Ricky Flex? Can you help me? Um, yes. It's um he's not a menace. You know well, what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, yes. Well, Betty Banks, right? That's Elizabeth Banks. Who yeah, she's Betty Brandt. Is we is gotta it... figure out this guy's name. This guy was this guy was uh, I, I this is teasing a pick. I'm not gonna pick him, but I thought about picking this guy. Who is it? I'm looking. Come on, Ricky. I'm looking at the cast here, but I'm not seeing anybody. It's Robbie, Robbie Roberts. Oh, Robbie Roberts. I think it's see. Robbie Roberts. Uh, it's it's Robbie something. It's but uh, yeah. So Robbie you know, sounds he, right though. Like see, like he was an awesome supporting character, so likable. Uh, and him going against J. Jonah Jameson, pushing back on him. I always enjoyed those scenes. But great pick, Ricky. Uh, so your supporting characters off the board. We're now on to your second round pick. Yes. So, okay. So like I said, supporting characters, I think there's a clear one, one there, um, but everyone else kind of lower movie. You already took my number one movie. I'll wait for that. I'm just kind of talking you through what I'm thinking right now. Love interests are just so few. Um, I'll wait. 
So do I make the decision now for Spider-Man? Sure, I want, I want Toby. I know after this movie, a lot of people are probably going to go towards Tom. But hey, I mentioned it before. Who was the alpha still? Who dominated? Like, when you see Toby, you just take your breath away. And I mentioned it before. He's the Christopher Reeve Spider Superman. Tobey Maguire is the Spider-Man. It just always will be. He's the template. He is the original. I want him personally, my favorite. Yes, he obviously like is, he was 29 when he played Spider-Man, was not a high schooler. Tom Holland's 21 was 21, but looked like he was 14. So it made sense visually. But Tobey Maguire is my Spider-Man. He always will be. He is the alpha. I'm taking him. The true Spider-Man one. So I I, I kind of wanted to take him with the first overall pick, but I, I thought I, I I approached the number one overall pick like the best available. And I like yeah, I and yeah. after seeing this movie though. I mean, I like it, he's obviously like the one where he kind of like the move, the time stopped when he showed up on screen. Whereas, like, oh my God, like Andrew Garfield had to show up first because you had to build up to the moment that Toby Maguire was going to be on the screen. And although he has, he might not be the best portrayal of a Peter Parker because he's not so, he doesn't seem like he's very um, quick wit, quick witted um, in terms of like, uh, discussion in terms of like talking trash in terms of like almost having that naivety that naivete as uh the other two spider-men um not not a chatterbox i should say and he has that get out of the way i can't see (laughs) but he is just uh he we grew up with him he is our guy and uh he has a vulnerability to him that is so crucial to peter it's like similar to the james bond where it's like we grew up with daniel craig and like that's our guy But Sean Connery, like he is more James Bond than anybody could ever be James Bond. He is the original and he's the pure best James Bond. It's like kind of the same thing. It's like the only analogy I think that I could say besides the Superman one, um, just to kind of put it in perspective. Great points, Flex. Um, okay. Now we're on to my second rounder. I'll take love interest. Uh, I, this is, I mean, we're all going. I, I got to. If you don't I, pick what I, I know think. it's gonna it's, it's Kirsten Dunst, Mary Jane. I have to do it, but I don't. I, I this is might I can't guarantee this is the last one I take from the, the Raimi franchise. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I can't guarantee this is the last time. So Mary Jane Watson, played by Kirsten Dunst. Um, once again, this has the nostalgic feel to it. It has the iconic moments. Her like in the the first Spider Man falling off, and then you have like falling the off kiss. the bridge. Can we talk about uh, the yes, kiss? yes, yes? We're gonna talk about the kiss. Wow! But, like falling off the bridge, and then you have like Tobey Maguire moment where he's choose the people of New York, and then he has choose between her and Mary Jane. Like in terms of like uh, the what Spider Man believes in, but the kiss is like the most iconic moment of any Spider Man female in the history. It will of never be movies. touched. It will there's never one, be touched. There's one that is semi-close, but the movie was not good enough to support it. Um, but yeah, the, the kiss, one MTV's best kiss of what, 2002, 2003? Yeah, 2002. Yeah. The iconic moments from Kirsten Dunst is just, you can never, no MJ, no love interest can ever top that. No. So that was she the was, clear. She was sustained as a love interest through all three movies as well. For Which is all impressive. All three movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, you guys, what was I going to say? You've written a blog about this. Like if you didn't she was pick, my first crust. 
Crush. Yeah, if you didn't pick her, then I think this draft would just have to end. First so. Hollywood crush, Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. Had to. And I think I was six years old when this movie came out. Hmm. Uh, sounds about right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on to the third round. We'll keep this thing moving here. So you have supporting characters, Spider-Man. What don't you have? You don't have villains, so I'll take a villain. This is tough. Oh, my God. I'm choosing between two. I already, I kind of have to take this person. I I, I kind of have to take this person. I already said they're better yep. than the initial. Uh, uh, but this other person's role in No Way Home was also spectacular. Uh, I'm going to go Dr. Octopus as my villain. Once again, Raimi franchise, <laughs> but also now MCU. Uh, so Doc Ock. Uh, I talked about the human elements of the character, the relationships he builds with Peter Parker. And it seems like that's kind of tried to be mirrored a little bit in this movie with like mm-hmm. his established relationship with Tom Holland. Didn't seem like he, he wants to pulverize him to start because that's the character he's left with when he's changed to a different dimension, but he wants to understand the science of all of this, which is classic Doc Ock. Um, and he has such a redeeming element to his story and he completes his arc at the end of this movie. So I am pumped about it. And I love watching his interactions with other Raimi villains that he didn't get to do beforehand. So Doc Ock is my third round pick. Yeah. We spoke about it before. All I request is, uh, can we get a hello, Peter? Hello, Peter. <laughs> so good. Okay. Um, yeah. You said it enough. Um, okay. I'm up. So, uh, all right, so everyone's taken something from the board. I have taken supporting character. I have taken my Spider-Man. So now I will take, I'll take, I'll just go my villain. And I actually, like Molina was my one, but this next one was tough. I think just because now he's been in two movies, you got to pick Defoe now. Now it's like, all right, he this did it. This is just the Raimi draft. It's just, it's basically <laughs> just the Raimi draft. Yes. If let's say Willem Dafoe wasn't in this movie, is that now I could say it's just because the two of us we both have our villains, then I would say Vulture Michael Keaton would be very close to being my pick here. He I was agree. outstanding. And I think and just like the car scene is what we all think about now. Like the car Iconic scene, moment. him putting his hand on the on the passenger seat. Good like, old Spider-Man. <laughs> just man, he is amazing. But Defoe is Defoe. He proved it here yet again. We talked about it in the review. Unbelievable. That's who I'm going to go with. Um, I'll do honorable mentions about all the ones uh, afterwards. Yes. No, we got to talk. We got to talk. But that's definitely – I have a couple ideas that might surprise you. I'm, I, it looks like you might as well. Um, so we're on to the fourth round for you, Ricky Flux. What do you got for uh, your – I'm picking picture? this one here because uh, I want my uh, Mr. Irrelevant to be like – a good cap off to the draft. My love interest. I'm going Gwen Stacy Emma Stone. That was my second. It was all right. Wow. I, I, I thought I was going to get some take from you, but um. Oh no, no, no. I think Emma Stone is unbelievable, and I think she did a perfect Gwen Stacy. I thought she was amazing. I think the chemistry between him, her, and Andrew Garfield was great. But she also has uh, obviously nothing like a Chris that done iconic bone, but. She's the love interest that dies. She's the love interest that dies. She in the first movie, she goes through death from or not, not from Spider-Man's hand, but obviously Spider-Man was a huge 
part had a huge impact on her father's death. Top that off with her own death. And in this movie, you could see the implications of her death. And you really believe it the way Andrew Garfield sells it in his acting abilities because of how good Emma Stone was in this movie and the chemistry, chemistry between her and Andrew Garfield in the, his franchise, his two movies. Emma Stone, when she was blonde, put in the bank. And that was such an like a iconic moment in the comics that lived up to that. That was like the great scene from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, dying at the hands of the Green Goblin. And then like it adds so much more the emotional weight of Captain Stacy dying at the end of the first Amazing Spider-Man saying, leave my daughter out of this. He doesn't leave his daughter out of it. She's in the final act of the movie. You know it's coming. And it still hits just as emotionally hard. And it's tough. And like it's and if you're a comic book fan, you you literally know it's coming. You know, you hear the words Gwen Stacy and you think about, oh, she snaps, she snaps her neck. Uh, when Spider-Man tries to save her. That's just what you think of. And it was a heartbreaking moment. And it's great to watch um, her and her dynamic with Andrew Garfield because they have a similar thing to uh, like Tom Holland and Zendaya, right? They're dating they dated, everything. Yeah. They, they, have the, like, they had a very tight relationship. So you're seeing that unfold on the screen. It makes it that much more impactful. Um, this was my second one for sure. And when I was talking about important moments for Spider-Man love interests, it's the kiss with Kirsten Dunst and then it's Gwen Stacy dying. And that's it. That, those are the two moments. And then you might add and said diving saved by Garfield in, in uh, no way home, but good pick. So now that was your fourth pick. We are rapidly coming to the close of this draft. So uh, I, I need a supporting character and I need a Spider-Man. I'm going to go ahead and just take Tom Holland right now. Just get the easy one over with right now. Tom Holland. Easy. Oh, huh? wait, wait, do wait, wait. Am I picking the right one? Yeah, you're picking a Spider-Man, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm good. I'm good. Tom Holland. I forgot I had the first pick. Tom Holland as my Spider-Man. Uh, this was an easy decision based off his performance in No Way Home. Uh, it was really special. And I thought even though Garfield was great, uh, he didn't have as much screen time, obviously, as Holland. This is Holland's movie. Holland has the great moments with the suit and without the suit in this movie. And he proved himself as a formidable Peter Parker, right? That doesn't have to rely upon the elements of the MCU. I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. Uh, do you think, Ricky Flex, that Tom Holland's the quintessential Spider-Man now? That's a tough question. Uh, to this generation, for sure. I think, again, I keep saying this, but I think that's why this movie that we just reviewed is so good. The ending was perfect because I think this next one is going to be a like we saw his coming of age, like high school. All right, whatever. That's all over and done with his him being stupid, like fiddling with the spell or giving the Edith glasses to Mysterio. Like all those dumb choices are over with. He's making smart, mature choices. Now it's going to be him being who he's supposed to be, really becoming the true Spider-Man, not just in the shadow of Tony Stark or making these dumb decisions or trying to fix his messes. He's going to become not just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but who he wants to be, who Aunt May says in this, 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 uh, this uh, Spider-Man uh, with great power, with great responsibility. He's going to put that on the screen and he will become, he will encompass the true Spider-Man of all time. I think he's just below Toby right now. And it's basically because of he's using the MCU mainly as a crutch in these characters for the first two movies. He comes into his own here, right? So I would say at, at worst, I mean, at, at, at best, I should say, it's like a tie between him and 
Maguire because Holland has put so much time into the character, right? Three movies. Uh, then we have three more outside appearances in a supporting role. Then we're getting another trilogy. It, it all just depends on how this next trilogy performs. If it is better than the next three movies, there's no question, obviously, because that's nine movies with him as Spider-Man, which is insane. Well, actually, yeah, nine movies with him yep, as Spider-Man, yep, you're on which would be insane. Um, it just depends how they perform right now. Some people could easily say he is the quintessential Spider-Man at this point, but after watching the power that Toby commanded, like even by just barely acting, it just shows like how much he's respected the audience reaction when Toby showed up. I'm willing to still say that Toby Maguire is the Spider-Man, but, but it's Tom Holland is either already there or right below. Agreed. Um, so uh, I need a best supporting character. This is and I gotta, this is, this is tough. And you already have a supporting character. I know what I would pick. I know who I would pick if I were in your situation. I know who I'm going to pick, but I'm going to run through the rest of the characters that could potentially be here. Old Aunt May could be on here. I will not pick her. Peter B. Parker in Into the Spider-Verse. He is in the mix right now. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck between him and another character. So Peter B. Parker is in the mix. Flash Thompson, shout out Joe Mangianello in the initial Grammy mm-hmm. trilogy, will not be picked. Ned Leeds will not be picked. Harry Osborn will not be picked. Wow. I'm going to go. Who, this is what I'm rivaling against. Peter B. Parker and Into the Spider-Verse, and then OG Uncle Ben. Wow. The OG, OG. OG Neither- Uncle Ben. Uh, yeah, you want, Neither, want me to want me to pick, or then are you gonna list some? No, I'm I'm letting you pick, and then I'll list some. All right, so you want no, me to pick? I, yeah, go. You go. I gotta go, OG Uncle Ben. I gotta uh, go, OG Uncle Ben. Not um, Martin Sheen, to be clear. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, this guy was way before our time. Uh, I got. I'm gonna look up the name right now. OG's uh, Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben in the original Spider-Man. This is the man you think of when you hear with great power comes great responsibility. Oh. The most, and talk about the heartbreaking moments, Toby crying in front of him on the street. This is like the moment that he becomes Spider-Man. And Martin Sheen just, I feel bad for him. There's just no way he could have lived up to the OG, to Cliff Robertson. And um, and his death, like it, it's very apparent in all three of the Raimi trilogy movies, especially obviously when you have Spider-Man 2, Toby admitting to Aunt May that he played a part in the death of Uncle Ben. And the third one, Flint Marco is the one who actually kills Uncle Ben that Toby Maguire is trying to gain revenge from. So with great power comes great responsibility. Ben Parker, Cliff Robertson is my pick. Yeah. And like, this is like one of his last roles is in this franchise. Um, shortly uh, died thereafter but um he, like cliff robertson i'm just looking now he won an oscar in 1969 like he's yeah, an oscar he's a, winner he's a good actor yeah and we only know him for this <laughs> we really only know him from this <laughs> that's just how naive we are yeah but um no that's great but do you want to hear if i were in your shoes who i would have picked spider-man noir no but that makes sense about nick cage who i am but uh no um Stan Lee. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that would have been yeah. That, I would count the cameos like. Count. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, um, so that, that's good, Ricky Flex. Now you're up with the fifth pick. Yeah, I'll do a more Mr. honorable Rome. mentions after. Um, 
All right. So this could have been the Sam Ramy draft. Okay. It um, is, except for one pick so far. Two picks so far. For me, I have, yeah, one. You need a movie. I know. And my movie is not Sam Ramy. I'm going into the Spider-Verse. We say, I feel like this just gets picked some way like on, on our drafts, like whether it's a music draft, animated draft, non-Disney draft, whatever, but the music, like unbelievable. Leave of Faith has the iconic moments scene. Um, you just mentioned Peter B. Parker, like Jake Johnson, kind of the mentor figure similar to this movie, the mentor figure. Uh, similar to this movie, like you mentioned Spider-Man Noir, you had the, all the other Spider-Men like kind of rallying Miles Morales around him. And you get that collab, this movie visually appealing, the style, the flair, the comic book aspects, like with the pows and the punching, things like that, kind of the homage to the comics. Like I said, the iconic scenes, the intro to Miles Morales, something different. Like we're used to, we have, we've had, this was uh, right after the beginning of, this was home, after Homecoming. We, this is our third installment with a live action Peter Parker. This is just an intro to something different, a Miles Morales that we got hinted with in Homecoming. Just something different to what we're accustomed to with Peter Parker but we still get those elements that we're accustomed to with the Jake Johnson's Peter Parker characters. So it's not completely new. We got a different Gwen Stacy playing a spider woman who was also an honorable spider Gwen, spider Gwen, who could have been a love interest pick here. Maybe after the next across the spider verse trailer that we just got last week or the week before, maybe will be, maybe she will be uh, in that consideration next time we do a Spider-Man draft. And uh, finally you had another familiar foe Kingpin kingpin and a death of a spider-man we got a death of a spider-man in this movie like this movie was just monstrous and i honestly think it deserves to be picked here like critically like i think it's right behind spider-man too so that's why i'm gonna pick it as mr irrelevant into the spider-verse okay um i give a lot of credit to this movie because it's an animated film that came out during the tom holland craze and it still managed to have the success it did with a Spider-Man people weren't familiar with. That is an insane accomplishment. With that being said, this I think this is either my number three or four favorite Spider-Man film. My first being Spider-Man 2. My second being No Way Home. Wow. No Way Home is my second favorite Spider-Man movie I think I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen it twice. It's not just over one instant reaction, seeing it twice. I'll see it again this week. I'm confident in saying this is my second favorite Spider-Man movie. And I'm not out of the realm of possibility looking back in two, three years, four years, five years, 10 years and saying this could become my favorite Spider-Man movie ever made. Wow. And that's kind of depends how I look at, look back on Tom Holland after, after these next three movies. Okay. But that's what I have. I have it at number two. It's now between the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire and then Into the Spider-Verse. And here's my thing with Into the Spider-Verse. Soundtrack, great. Animation, great. What I really put into and take into account is the actual performances by the actors. And having people that I adore on screen, Holland, Maguire, seeing their performances, these villains, more than just their voices, seeing them in their physical presence. A Willem Dafoe is a great example. Seeing the struggles that they go through as an individual. I think the performances really matter when it comes to making a great movie. It's acting. It's acting. It's not just voice acting. Your physical presence is a huge part of it. So 
I either have into the Spider-Verse three or four. So like Ricky Flux, where does your like top four, how does it shake out for you? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I also kind of picked it because now I have three different franchises um, on my uh-huh. board. I kind of like that as well. But um, if I just go non-animated, like Spider-Man 2, mm-hmm. um, it's clearly my, clearly my number one. And Spider-Man, we mentioned all the iconic things like related to your Kristen Dunn's pick um, and then my Defoe pick. Just I'm going to go with that, the iconic Green Goblin. Um, but then after that, it's a battle between Homecoming and No Way Home. And I, I'm Far right from now. Home or, oh, from Homecoming and No Way Home? Like first it, and third from Holland? Yes. Far wow. From Home is after that. At wow. The, I, I think Homecoming is. I love it. I, 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 I originally knocked it um, in the beginning because it like kind of relied on Tony Stark. But then again, like just watching it so much on cable, it's like usually you get sick of a movie. I think it's better every time I see it. So hopefully No Way Home gets like that for me and maybe surpasses it. But as of right now, after only seeing No Way Home once, I'm not going to put it as my third confidently over Homecoming. But I could definitely see that. The Favorite-wise, like nostalgia, fanfare, like that's probably going to be my favorite to watch, seeing all three Spider-Men on the screen at the same time. Like, my yeah. God. And all these villains on the, on the screen at the same time. But just as the best movies, now before and then Far From Home 5. No way. So... I love Homecoming too. Like all of the movies I stated, I love. Like I have five Spider-Man movies that I love. I can't say that about any other superhero that I know, I would say, that I love. And Homecoming, the reason I hold No Way Home higher is that we see obviously the progression of Peter's character played by Tom Holland. But I didn't like in Homecoming how he doesn't throw a punch the entire movie. Like he's a little softer. I like seeing... The, like it's I mean it's a superhero movie you want to see him fight I want to see him brawl with these big bad villains yes yeah, I I, and I like think him him those fight sequences with the goblin I think take the movie to another level I think it's incredible and I think that's finally where like Holland proves I can actually fight I don't like I, I, I like he's a smart kid we understand that we see that with Mysterio and the second Spider-Man far from far from home but no way home he's a physical presence that I think that I need to see from my Spider-Man. Yeah. I, I, I can't disagree with you there, but again, another thing I would say is that I mentioned with the reset, this whole trilogy is like basically leading up to this reset. The first movie is like basically like, not just because we saw in civil war is like, I have powers and I'm recognizing that I got a new suit. This movie is like, Hey, I don't need my, I'm not relying on my powers homecoming. That is I'm not relying on my powers. I can use my smart. I don't need a suit. Like whatever. Second, and then Far From Home is like, all right, like he's trying to open finally the MJ relationship, getting his spidey senses, the tingle, which I still hate that they use, uh, as in the wording of tingle, not spidey senses or anything like that. I hate and, that too. Right. And then this one, it's like, all right, he's full blown Spider Man, making that leap and then mature, making that full blown maturing factor, uh, maturing step leap. So finally, this next show is just going to be full blown Spider Man full-blown Peter Parker, true to the comics, true to the original character. I can't wait for it. And I think that kind of goes to effect of what these, this trilogy has done and homecoming just started it. And I really liked it. Like that's still for me, that's probably like a 92, 93 score for me. Mm-hmm. And then my I, mean, I, I dare I say it, where does this rank? Where's no way home rank with your MCU rankings. I, I kind of brought this up earlier. It's just um, below God tier to me. 
Whereas, so like, like Infinity like, War is my favorite. Infinity, in terms of like MCU, like the only thing is about this movie, why it's not like near Infinity War or Endgame is because in terms of MCU movies, it doesn't have the implications to the rest of the universe. Similarly mm-hmm. to Infinity War, Endgame, a process that is only involved with the MCU. This one's pulling from Sony franchises that have nothing to do with the MCU. So in that regard, I can never put it up next to Infinity War, Endgame. Um, but in terms of like favorite movies in the MCU, it's next to Infinity War. Yeah, favorite, favorite. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think favorite is right next to it, right below it. Um, best, definitely top five. Um, I'm just thinking Infinity War, Endgame, not in this order, but Infinity War definitely won. Infinity War, Endgame, Iron Man, Winter Soldier, Thor Ragnarok are like the other ones that would compete with it and Homecoming, obviously, for me. Yes. Um, for best. You said Winter Soldier? Yes. Winter Soldier, Ragnarok, yep. Infinity War, Endgame. Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, Nikes, yeah. I would say that, that competes, but I still want... Spider-Man, more. Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, with these movies, like, when you think of Marvel, you think of now you think of Iron Man and think of Captain America, but like who they had the Captain their, America shield on the Statue of Liberty in this movie. Which who is their biggest asset? It is Spider Man, and By they far. made the quintessential Spider Man movie here within the MCU. It's hard for that not to be a top tier hmm. Spider Man movie. So I'm putting it right below the God tier with what you're talking about: Winter Soldier, Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy. In my opinion, that's like mm-hmm. the grouping. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, honorable mention. Oh, let me read through the list before we wrap up here. Ricky Flay. Uh, Rick, I had the first pick, so I'll go. Doctor O has Spider Man Two as his movie. Mary Jane Watson played by Kirsten Dunst as his love interest. Uh, that sounds good to say. Doc Ock as the villain. Uh, Tom Holland as his Spider Man, and Uncle Ben as his supporting actor played by Cliff Robertson. Ricky Flicks has J. Jonah Jameson as his supporting character from the original Raimi trilogy. He's got Tommy McGuire as his Spider-Man. He's got uh, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin played by Willem Dafoe as his villain. He has Gwen Stacy as his love interest from the amazing, uh, the amazing Spider-Man. And finally for his movie is into the Spider-Verse. That's for, uh, that's for our drafts. Uh, any other honorable mentions you wanted to list here, Ricky Flicks. Uh, maybe just go supporting characters first. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't have much. Uh, like, yeah, so like, you already talked about movies. If you want, if you wanted to say Tony Stark, I didn't want to do that. I know you could have done that, Doctor Strange, but I, w- I wouldn't have done that. Um, and if you went TV series supporting characters, Felicia Hardy is a big Black character Cat. in the TV series. As a big supporting character, that love interest. Yes, you could say that instead. So maybe Rich that's Dad. the love interest character. But yeah. I um I had who did I have Peter B Parker is the one that I wanted to take right there. right and I already listed out the other ones I had uh, villains um, I mentioned Vulture um, and then I had two TV series ones again Hobgoblin Mark Hamill voicing the Hobgoblin amazing and then a uh, Kingpin in the animated series me too Love I that. was thinking Kingpin Kingpin so good. for sure yeah yeah Kingpin was an awesome one and. Uh, if you've set him for Into the Spider-Verse, I wouldn't hate it either. Mm-hmm. Kingpin for Into the Spider-Verse. Huge. Also, Prowler would have been an interesting pick from Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. Marshala Ali. That one crossed my mind. I was never going to pick it, but if we had to go like a four or five person draft and we change over the categories a little bit, I mm-hmm. could see that with the, that's that's like his Uncle Ben dying in that moment right, for Miles right, Morales. Right, right. You know, that's the moment. 
um love interest only other one was mj uh and then you had gwen stacy in the you had mj excuse me in the holland movies with uh, uh zendaya and then you had what's her name laura what's her name laura harrier i forgot what character michelle she played michelle in spider-man homecoming oh yeah that's like totally didn't even think is it of michelle her. what's her name no no mm. michelle is mj yeah, Michelle Jones. Laura Harrier. I'm typing it in. Homecoming character. And that is Liz. Liz. Yes, it's Liz. Um, yeah, I didn't even think of her. Um, but yeah. Um, in spite of, yeah, you mentioned it. You you meant you said all of them. And, um, Elizabeth Banks, um, Betty Brandt. <laughs> Not bad. Uh what else we got? Anything else? You mentioned the movies. Um Spider-Man, like we obviously mentioned Garfield and the two we picked, um, Spider-Man TV series. Um, but uh, Miles Morales would be the only other Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. Well, Ricky Flicks, hell of a show. An action-packed show. A long show. Hey, it's tough to follow up Spider-Man No Way Home review and draft, but the best way to do it, double review with Leo and Bradley Cooper starring in movies with an unbelievable cast yeah like, clap it up like it's december folks december movies oscars we ride hell yeah ricky flex that's gonna do it for episode 68 of the drive-in podcast make sure you are subscribed to the pod um on all listening platforms or wherever you're most comfortable listening whether it's spotify whether it's apple podcast soundcloud wherever you listen to your podcast we are available so to make sure that you are tuned in weekly. We also uh, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube where this review will be popping up and this draft will be popping up. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the blog, right? Where you're putting out, we're putting out fire blogs, fire content, fire reviews that you won't find on the uh, podcast on a weekly basis. And then we have uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at the drive-in pod where we are tweeting, posting daily. All right. That's going to do it for episode 68 of The Drive-In. Until next time, we will smell you.